Tonight's episode of the BS Podcast and the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Finding key players for your team can be challenging. Also challenging when you just lose dumb games over and over again, like the Celtics this week. Cafe Torres CEO Dylan Miskowitz could relate. He needed to hire a director of coffee posters job and ZipRecruiter found the right person for the role in just a few days. Four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Try for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, introducing the new Microsoft Surface Laptop 3 with its beautiful touchscreen, you'll experience stunning graphics with razor sharp resolution. Now available with a 13 and a half or 15 inch screen. And with the latest processors, there's no project the Surface Laptop can't handle. It's both light and powerful. You can get more done on the go. Visit surface.com slash Laptop three to learn more. That is surface.com slash laptop three. Hey, the book of basketball season one is done. We have moved the rewatchables into that Monday night spot starting this week. Although we posted this week's rewatchables podcast a little early. We're going to have two this week. We have Godfather three coming later in the week. We posted, we did a podcast about contagion, the Steven Soderbergh movie that came out in 2011, which is a disturbing Rewatch and it's a movie a lot of people are rewatching right now. So we threw away the categories and we just had a conversation about the movie nine years later and how disturbing and eerie it is in so many different ways. And I think a lot of people feel that way because if you go to uh, the Apple store or wherever, it is in the top five rentals all over the place. So check that out. We put that up already. Me, Sean Fennessy, and Chris Ryan. Coming up, Ryan Rossillo. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, Ryan Rossillo is on the line. He joins me every Sunday night here on the podcast, normally in person. We're doing this one on the phone. Got some emails from people who are still upset that we haven't named this pod yet. Jeff Goldberg thinks it should be called We Both Played Basketball. What do you think of that, Rossillo? I think that was mentioned last year. I still can't get past how great I think Pod Strickland is. Pod Strickland? But, uh, we both played basketball. it just doesn't seem right. And then Justin said, hey, guys, I was listening to your latest pod. I think you stumbled across the perfect name for the pod. Sunday Night Heat has a WWF feel, a little homage to an 80s movie. Uh, Sunday Night Heat, that's another one. So I don't know. I still don't feel like it's jumped off the page. I do like we both played basketball, though. I think that's strong. <laughs> anyway, Lakers Clippers today was the biggest regular season game of the year for a few different reasons. The Clippers, if they had won the game, they would have uh, basically been up 3-0 in the series and we would have had this whole narrative of, well, we're hearing how great the Lakers are, but they can't beat the Clippers. So that was in play. We also had LeBron with an improbable MVP run, which we'll get to in a second, that a Lakers win really would have helped with that. And then the third thing was just, if this is going to be a playoff series, no team has been more decimated from a home court advantage standpoint than the Clippers when they play the Lakers in a big game. I thought it was going to be 50-50. My wife and my son went. She said it was like 70-30, maybe even 75-25. Uh, what was your biggest lesson from today? 
I don't know what we do with the three games now in total, because I think you would agree talking to just, you know, people that live in the city. It's that, well, when it comes down to it, it's a playoff series. There's nothing that the Clippers can do with Anthony Davis. And the Clippers win that first game. And granted, that's the first game of the season. So I don't know what it means now. We've seen so many different versions of this Clippers team. Yeah, throw out that first game. That was, they, they everybody barely knew each other at that point. Yeah, agreed. No, no Paul George in that one. So game two, the Christmas game, Clippers win that one. Um, you know, the, the shooting across the board, like it's something I'm looking at because it wasn't a great shooting game today. You know, the Lakers are minus 11 in free throws. And I actually, during that game, kind of felt like the Lakers were better, right? And then the Clippers get together in this last week. They smash Houston. And you start thinking, well, wait a minute. If this is the version of this team, full go, like maybe they're even better than we thought, even though I actually left the Christmas game thinking the Lakers were the better basketball team, but the Clippers have these first two. So yet no one can stop Davis. It's like, are they going to win a game? And not only do the Lakers do this, and LeBron is putting together this run where he looks even better now than the beginning of the season. And the fact that like the Clippers had everybody and Paul George looks like he's going nuts. I'm like, man, if he's going to play like this and then he has two points in the fourth quarter, I was like, okay, there he is. And (laughs) I just, you know, and then you could, you add that in with the Milwaukee win. I mean, it's just, it's just hard to sit here today and I try not to be a prisoner of any of this stuff, but I mean, what's the argument against the Lakers being the best team, at least in the West, if not the entire league. We called out the Clippers two weeks ago, not a call out like, uh, oh, I'm calling out the Clippers. But we were just like, look, (laughs) if they're going to win the title, we'd like to see a really nice stretch from them during the season. We're not asking for too much. Play well for three weeks in a row, lay the smack down. They were doing that. We were in the middle of it. It was they had finally hit a point where they were the running on all cylinders when they wanted to lock it down defensively. They could. The two guys, Kawhi and Paul. Um, kind of trading who was going to be super hot from quarter to quarter or game to game. And it just, they started to get that look. And yet going into this game, I really thought the Lakers were going to win. And I felt that way about this Lakers team since I went to that Celtics game when I thought the Celtics played really well in LA a couple weeks ago. And there hits this point where it just becomes this playoff game type of feel and you have AD and you have LeBron. And LeBron is, this is one of the better runs that he's had. I know the statistics, the nerds can go in there and be like, oh no, actually this 20 game run. I think all the stuff he's doing with this team um, and how he has basically imposed his, for lack of a better word, will. And just alpha dogness <laughs> with the stuff that in the end of the 2000s, we worried that he didn't have in him. And now he has it in him, you know, galore. and there's this will that this team has in these tight games where they they have a different kind of switch. There's a physicality that comes into place. They're really hard to officiate. They, they're just near the rim. They're protecting the rim. They're getting to the rim. And you could feel it today in that Clipper game. Clippers didn't play great. But you look at the Lakers thing, other than Avery Bradley and Kuzma defensively, I didn't feel like the Lakers played great. Did you? Um. No, I mean, look, the Clippers are up at the half. This this wasn't some, some oh my god, you know, there's 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 no comparison to these teams. I I wouldn't feel that way. Like if I'm a Clippers fan, yeah, I'm upset and I'm worried. I'm scared because I think these two teams. I mean, you know, the Clippers are coming off this week where they smashed Houston, and we'll get to Houston a little bit later. They smashed Denver on that Friday night game a week ago. Yeah, and you you know maybe maybe the conclusion of this whole thing, Bill, is that you know these two teams are that much better than everybody else, but. You know, as much as I love Kawhi, and this is still a compliment, I actually think he's the best isolation guy 
in the league. I'm sure there's points per possession stuff that could argue against it. I'm sure there's some numbers that probably put Harden there from just the, the productivity that you get from him ISOing and, and how much Houston ISOs. But I love Kawhi with the ball because there's just not really much that you can do with him because of his body, the way he plays angles. His handle is completely underrated. He's so tight with that handle. But then you look at it on the other side and you get the smartest player maybe we've ever seen in LeBron. And that's that's what's always so funny is like everybody always wants everybody to run these intricate plays with all these movements and decoys and and swinging the ball to the weak side when the action was on the other side. And what the Lakers did is they just went Lou Williams hunting. And I, I feel like that might be the one takeaway from this, because I feel like the names for the Clippers and some of the depth I actually do like better. Like I go, you know, they got some different guys that can throw at you. Like, look at Montrez's numbers. Look what Pat Beverly does. Look at Lou Williams scoring. But they were hunting every single Lou Williams switch. And then LeBron was dictating everything he wanted to do off of that. So in all those spots where they needed to stop, they went right back to a very basic, slow thing. LeBron's going to find you in this bad switch. We're going to switch you up against Lou, who is not just a bad defensive player, but like sometimes he gets really lackadaisical with it. Like he's not just always locked in. I mean, he's been that way his entire career. And that might be the biggest takeaway for a playoff series where you go, okay, that's something that Doc's going to have to find a way to remedy. And they even tried some things where they were trying to change some of their defensive alignments, but then they got back to Lou Williams a couple different times there. So uh, I'm just so impressed with LeBron. I mean, I know that sounds like it's stating the obvious, but I just don't know that anybody's supposed to be doing this 48,000 minutes in plus another, like I was doing the numbers. He's at 58,000 career minutes with the playoffs at 35 years old and I'm not saying he's as good as those peak Miami numbers because some of those numbers were insane, but it's it's hard to bet against this guy. Like he should scare everybody, and we expected him at some point. He has to slow down, but it's not happening this year. Yeah, I remember before the season adding all that up and thinking he had an outside chance to get to 60 this season. If, if assuming they played like 23, 24 playoff games, whatever, 60,000, which is just his Carmelo and Kareem, and that's it for a perimeter guy to be doing that. You know, I not only that he's still able to do it at this level, but the way he's played the last few weeks, again, the stats aren't much different. The field goal percentage is a little bit up. He's getting the free throw line a tiny bit more, but there's a physicality to him that reminds me of the 2018 final, the you know, the Eastern finals, then that game one of the finals when he almost beat the Warriors by himself, where he, you know, Marcus Morris, a guy who I'm not going to say he had success against LeBron, but didn't do the worst job in the world guarding him on the Celtics. That was kind of the reason they traded for him in the first place was that the numbers when he guarded LeBron were about as good as anybody defending LeBron. LeBron was just running over him in the fourth quarter. Did you see those plays when he was getting the rim anytime he wanted against a guy that is supposed to be a good defender against him. So he's in one of these grooves and Again, when you talk about the physicality of that team and how hard they are to officiate, I feel like they are the prohibitive favorite because here, look at this. They play today 10 for 35 from three as a team. They win by nine. They play the Bucks on Friday night, six for 32 from three. They don't even need to shoot that well to beat really good teams. And they're the only team that can say that, right? Is there another team that could be like, we're going to miss almost all of our threes today and still beat you by nine. That's it. It's them and that's it. No, it's an awesome point because, you know, so many of these teams will look and be like, how did that happen? And you're like, oh, they shot 40% from three tonight and they took a million of them, you know? Like, hey, how come that team lost? So they shot 21% from three. You know, too many times now when you go through, like if you, if you didn't catch every <laughs> single game and you go to look like what happened, the conclusion's like, what did everybody do with three and how many did you miss? 
And for them to be able to do this in an age where when you shoot that poorly, you usually lose. And they were, look, the reason they were down at the half until they blew it up in the third quarter, they were minus, I was tracking like minus 11, minus 12 in the rebounding margin. And I'm yeah. thinking like, look how big they are. And, you know, they're doing these things or they're combining stuff a little differently. The Markeith Morris addition, they went small for the start of the fourth quarter, which Van Gundy pointed out where it's like, that's kind of Dwight's time. Um, and, you know, here we are with these two teams that are this good. Because I still don't want to like, you know, just because the Lakers won that we don't respect how good the Clippers are and and still can be because I, I think the Houston win matters. And again, the Denver thing was was barely a week ago, but they lost the rebounding edge. They went with Markeith a little bit smaller and none of it really matters. And instead of this obsession with the big three and who's that third guy going to be, and it still seems a little silly that we were like, yeah, Kuzma's their third guy. Like they don't need Kuzma every night. They don't need Danny Green every night. And Avery Bradley was the guy that stepped up for him. And, you know, Vogel still seems to love Rondo. And Rondo had like a weird stretch in there where he wasn't very effective, but Vogel gave him a ton of credit afterwards. So I don't know if that's just him talking him up still, or maybe he's doing stuff that we're not seeing. I don't know, because I don't see it. But it just comes down to this LeBron possession by possession thing where he's going to be better than you. I don't think it's that much more difficult than that. And it's funny, you go through their guys. Really, they have two guys you would completely trust, and that's it. When you talk about they don't have the third star, I don't even think they have the third guy that you know you're going to be able to, able to count on in a game seven. Do you think they do? I don't think they have the guy. Like Bradley was no. great today. He he in the in the last game, the Bucks game on Friday night, he was zero for five. Today he was six for twelve just from threes. But you know he's going to be feast or famine. Danny Green is an all time feast or famine guy. I mean he's one of this century. I if you made the feast or famine twenty first century all star team, he has to be on it. And I mean that as a compliment because. When he's good, he can still make shots. And when, when he can't make a shot, he can at least be in the right spots and play defense and not be afraid. But I think the Kuzma X factor with them is the subplot to watch as we head toward April, May, June. Because, And I thought the first time he really impressed me was in that Boston game. Not to keep bringing up that one game, but Tatum was unstoppable and Kuzma came in and really played good defense. And I think if you talk to the Laker fans who I think are a little bit irrationally attached to Kuzma. The one thing I don't think they expected from him is what's been happening in the last month and a half or so, where he's just like, all right, I'm not going to get the ball that much. I'm playing 22 minutes a game. How can I affect the game? And he's affecting it with rebounding and defense. And he doesn't seem scared, which is the other thing. And we're going to hit a point in these playoff games where Vogel's going to have to just look around and be like, all right, who are my guys who aren't scared? Markeith Morris? Maybe. Uh, Dwight Howard played seven minutes. I don't think we see him. I don't think we see Rondo. The Caldwell Pope is another guy. I'm not I'm not sure we end up seeing. Today, they only played McGee and Howard 19 minutes combined, which was 100% purposeful, right? Because they know that to beat the Clippers, their biggest advantage is Davis at the five. So if this is the only series they play Davis at the five in the playoffs, I think that's a smart move because... I don't know what I don't know how the Clippers counteract that. Then you flip the, to the Clippers side. Look at all the guys who didn't show up for them in today's game, and you think like, do you trust Shamit in a playoff series? You like him a little more than I do. I do not trust him. Beverly was a no show today. You go on down the line, and you know the the Davis James just as a combo is just going to be more reliable than anyone else in the league, including Kawhi and Paul George. So Kawhi could still be awesome, but man. I, I think the Lakers have have this season by the balls if they can stay healthy. Is that a fair thing to say now? Because I feel like it is. Does it feel 
there's still more to do on this Clippers side here, but off of that statement, does it feel a little disrespectful to Milwaukee to say that? Because the Bucks fans, you know, are very touchy. Let's be honest, very touchy. And um, Friday night was why we don't believe in the Bucks yet. Sorry, we just don't because that turned into a game seven and you could feel it. And it basically just felt like Giannis against AD and LeBron. Didn't you feel that way? Did you feel like, who was his second guy in that in that final eight minutes that you felt fantastic about? Was there anybody on his team? Middleton's another guy that I I can't tell if I'm like, hey, you need to be you need to be nicer to Middleton, and then when I feel like I'm being nice to him, I'm like, do you really trust him? <laughs> you know, so I'm I don't want to be dismissive of him, but I I think it's totally fair to say like he's he's got a better handle, he's big, you know how well he shoots it. He shot, you know, there's stretches I've seen him in without Giannis or like this guy's killing it right now, but we're never going to do it. It's like the Lowry stuff with the playoffs forever. Like I didn't care what Lowry's stats were in the regular season. He had all these horrible playoff performance and Lowry had more bad ones than, than Middleton certainly has. But that game I think became really frustrating for the whole thing because that whole system is based on spreading it out with shooting and Giannis having more freedom. And once Davis got in foul trouble and Davis had a bad start to that game. And, you know, I do think that sometimes we get really excited about defensive matchups that aren't as big as, as they really were. Like remember when LeBron switched on to Derek Rose in the heat bulls playoff series. Yeah. Rose couldn't shake him. And then all of a sudden it was like LeBron totally shut him down. And you're like, well, not really. Like he guarded him a couple possessions. It's kind of like the Steph Curry thing. Like, Oh, he couldn't even shake Kevin love. And I know I made the mistake after being like, is that what he did? And then he's like, no, I took a bad three. Like, I went for the three. I went for the kill shot. Yeah. And then it turned into, well, Kevin Love stayed in front of him. You're like, no, I think actually Steph could have gotten it if he wanted to, but he really was setting himself up to take a three. But when you're defending Giannis, and, you know, LeBron did a really good job of taking that on. I was texting with somebody, you know, close to the Lakers. I was like, is anything different here after today's game? I was texting with somebody, be like, is there anything different that you're doing with LeBron? Because it's, there's a matchup thing with them where they've done a really good job of protecting him. And I don't, I'm not mad when he's defending somebody that's the least, you know, uh, least of a, of a threat offensively on the opposing team. Like I, I expect that this all is part of the maintenance, Yeah. but what he did against Giannis and then what they did as a team against Giannis, I think is always the thing that you think about when you watch all of these games against Milwaukee, where you go, how different will it be in the playoffs? And once you kind of cut off the, the Giannis, just driving through everybody at will like the Lakers did. And it isn't just one guy. It's everybody paying attention to what he's doing. It makes them look weird. Uh, it just does. Now, they still might roll through the East, but that game, this this whole weekend, like you can't help, you can't help but go into Monday going, man, maybe, you know, maybe you're right. I mean, by the balls feels aggressive, but I don't know what, <laughs> like, well, how do you go? How do you go into Monday if you're at work talking with your buddies saying, you know, now the Lakers, you know, they're just hot right now. They've only really had two bad stretches. They lost four in a row. They had some weird stretches that was like a week and a half. And then, you know, obviously with Kobe's passing, you know, you could you could point to that after the fact. They'd had a couple losses before that. But I just trust the AD LeBron thing. And even AD, like in the beginning, you're like, oh, is he a little soft? He ends up with 30 tonight. So <laughs> And really you know, good defense, too. Yeah, and he solves he solves a lot of their problems. The f I I hate to be a broken record about the free throws, but 26 between Davis and James on Friday night and 22 today. And that's that's the difference with them and all the other teams. Giannis can get to the line too, but he's by himself, right? He's 
in a big game that really starts to get that game five, game seven type of feel, he'll, he can get to the free throw line between 10 and 16 times. But Davis and LeBron can do that. And it's the great equalizer when everyone on your team all of a sudden can't make a three for a quarter. And I think you could feel it on that Friday night game. Granted, one game. Granted, they're still on pace to win 68, 69 games. But that game was damaging because, you know, if they lay the smack down that night, now it's like, all right, shut up. We are the favorites. We don't want to hear anymore. Didn't happen. And then Giannis gets hurt at the end on a really dopey play where he basically just lands. Who was lying down? Caruso? Or I forget who was the Laker lying down, but ends up, it almost looked like he blew out his knee for a second. And then it seemed like he was fine because he's Giannis. And Giannis and LeBron, I think, are the two guys that could take the hardest falls possible. And you just assume they're going to get up and be fine. But now it turns out that he's not fine, which, um, and it might be a little, you know, minor knee tweak, whatever, but it's not the kind of momentum you want heading in the playoffs. Now they're going to, in round one, they're going to play some team that they're going to be favored by 18 points a game against each, each round. The Lakers are not going to have that luxury. The Lakers are at least going to be playing, you know, a, a, a frisky Grizzlies team that they'll sweep, but they'll at least have to like break a sweat. I don't think Milwaukee have to break a sweat in round one, but you know, I I just think LeBron's got to be so fired up because you think about it, the four Cleveland years, he, you know, first year is you write that one off. Everyone's so happy he's back. Guys get hurt, whatever. 16 and 17, those Cavs teams were really good. 18 was LeBron as a one-man show. Last year was a throwaway. Now he has the kind of team where not only is it a championship contender, but a lot of motivation. And I, and I think that's been, I wrote about this with LeBron a couple of years ago. The recurring theme of LeBron's career is there's always a carrot being waved in front of him. Every time he could be completely satiated, it's something else, right? He has, you know, he goes the, the 2000s, he had to get by the Pistons and then the Celtics. And then he got, and then he never could make the finals. Now Kobe is supposedly the best player. Then he goes to Miami. Everyone hates that. They're the villains. He's got to get through that. San Antonio beats him in 14. Now he's at Cleveland. Now it's like, I got to bring Cleveland a title. He finally does that. But now the Curry and the Warriors, KD's on, on Golden State. Now it's like, oh God, I got to beat these guys. And then finally he goes to LA. Can't get it together. Kawhi ends up on the Clippers. Everyone's saying Giannis is the best player. It's like motivation over and over and over again. And if you look at Jordan's career, he just never had that. He would vanquish his, whoever the competitor was in a year and the guy would be done. It'd be like, Clyde Drexler, you're my, oh, I'm going to ruin your career. You'll never be the same after I'm done with you in 1992, which was kind of true. And over and over again, through Carl Malone was like, who's next? I'm rolling this guy over. LeBron, just over and over again, there's a carrot. Have you noticed that? Is it, there's been no career like this. I also think in the age of today, like as, as we sit here and I'll go through every star, right? And I've always thought it was fascinating that the top six or seven guys in the league at one point have all had ad campaigns based on them going back at the haters. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's, it's unbelievable. Like ever, I could tell you every guy like, okay, what are you talking about? And we're like, all right, you know, like Westbrook not eating sushi in OKC. You know, he's like, all right, yeah, like you're not supposed to do this. Oh, I'll do this. Oh, I, you know, shouldn't do this. Like every single guy, like even Curry, Harden's had it. LeBron's had it. Durant's had it. Kyrie's had it. All of these guys have had these ad campaigns built around being hated. And Jordan, 
you know, we could sit here and go, okay, well, Harden, he's scoring 37 a game, but here are the things I don't like about him. Okay, fine. All right, Westbrook got a triple-double. Okay, but now we dig into it. Maybe I don't really like him. And then, hell, Curry goes on this epic run. It's like, yeah, but he's kind of soft, and can he really do it in the playoffs? You're like, God, what the hell? Like, you guys need him to get 40 every single night. And then Giannis, if they don't get out of the East, it's going to happen, where it's going to be like, I thought this guy was supposed to be the best. You can't even get out of the East. Um, Anthony Davis, who I love. You know, I, I, I love... I think I've been as pro Anthony Davis as like any national guy going. And we thought like his, his introduction to the major audience was that sweep of Portland a couple years ago where you're like, wait a minute, maybe this guy's like announcing right now. I'm the best player in the world. And throughout all of it, like LeBron at age 35 with all of those minutes feels like the safest bet. Right. And I, I know, I know how much we applaud him. Like when people have a problem with him, I go like, if you got a problem with that guy, like who do you like? And I'm going to ask, can I ask you this? Because as I was going through those minutes things, and you've always done a really good job with this historically, like, hey, this is kind of where you break down. And then I started looking like at guys at the end of their careers and they hit some of these minute plateaus and they still play, but they're just not the same guy. Yeah. But for LeBron, 35 years old, he enters the league at 18. He's eighth in minutes. I think he'll get to seventh this year. It's 48,000 regular season minutes, as we mentioned, 58,000 with the playoffs. Jordan, who entered the league at 21, he played 11 full seasons. So he had the injury in the second year, and then he had the short season when he came back. So he had those 11 full seasons and then two extra ones when he came back to the Wizards after the second break. But he was at age 34 in the kind of the final real season. He was at only... 35, 36,000 regular season minutes, 43,000 total minutes, including the playoffs at that point. LeBron is 15,000 minutes ahead of him at this pace. Well, I shouldn't say pace, but like at this stage of his career, his entrance to how many he's played, he's that many ahead of 15,000 minutes, Bill, and he looks this good. Well, I think the guy to compare him to would be Carl Malone because... Physically, they're basically the same. Malone was 6'9", 270, and I think LeBron is probably 6'8 and a half, 270. But Le- Carmelo basically from comes in the league in 84 um, and all the way through really till 2001 is an, an all-NBA guy, you know, and not, and not as good as LeBron. And thank God I wrote my book and you can read all my Carl Malone opinions in there. He's weirdly the most overrated superstar, but now if you look at his statistical resume, he's weirdly underrated too. But I would say that's more of the comparison. I, I think what happens, and this happened to Kobe too, which I think is another guy we can throw in there. These guys that take care of their bodies in a really, really special, unique, relentless kind of way can keep going way further than we would ever think. The problem is if there's an injury, then they can't get it back. And that's what happened to Carl Malone. That's what happened to Kobe. Kobe's 2012-13 season was as good offensively as as really any of the other seasons he had played in the previous like three or four. But then he tore his Achilles in the last game. And then he could just never get back after that because once you get hurt, then you can't do the everyday workout routine thing. So you know, knock on wood with LeBron, but as long as he can avoid an injury that would disrupt whatever machine thing he has going. Cause obviously it's, wouldn't you agree? I mean, Ryan, not only are you a basketball player, you're, you're a fitness aficionado. It's 365 days a year for LeBron. 
He's not like, I'm going to take a month off and get fat and go to Italy. Like that dude's waking up. That dude treats his body like it's a pristine painting. And that's why he's able to get to 60,000 minutes. Is 70,000 minutes realistic? I don't know. Do you think that's realistic? It's not unrealistic. Well, I just, I just don't know what to do because, you know, nutrition and all this stuff, it's, it's always getting better, right? It's always getting better. Um, I think Duncan's one of the best examples ever of extending his career by changing his body type, right? Like he got thinner and thinner as he got older. Yeah. And we had moments with, with Duncan that we probably thought he was like done. What was it? The feet problems that he had, you know, in 2007, they won it. And after that, I think there was a stretch. You're like, okay, what are you really going to get out of this guy? And then they have those back-to-back years where they could have won both, but I think they were motivated to win the second one because the way they lost the first one. And you're like, you know, if you were being honest with yourself, like Duncan was, was doing stuff five years later than we thought he would. But I, I know everybody's different. Like I think anybody that really understands fit and I don't, but I do believe that everybody's body is different in the way you react to stuff. And some guys, it's like, are you really better off just working out nonstop all the time on top of a grueling full NBA schedule and the finals runs that this guy's been on? Like, I'd have to imagine at some point the body needs rest. And maybe for him, rest is just going overseas for two weeks and that's all he needs. But that's just... You know, some guys don't need to be in great shape. Some guys, when they let themselves go a little bit, they're never the same. Some guys work out too much, and that's why they're hurt more often. I think there's there's people talking about younger kids, you know, and throwing up all this weight on squat racks and stuff, and then they show up to college campuses, and they're like, they're stiff as a board, and they can't even move their hips. Right. So I, I, I just look at him like the Carl Malone one I think is good because he was really productive, and he was 40 in that last season with the Lakers in 03 and 04, and I was looking at it, and that's where it fell off. Because he got hurt. was going to fall off. Yeah, he got hurt minutes that whole thing but he also the entire time he was in utah ran to like one place on the floor and waited for the best assist man in history to set him up every single time and the pace and- the pace was incredibly slower back then too i think that's one of the things that's been amazing about lebron this year is you know he's running the team and they're playing with pace and he's playing in a league where the possessions are the highest they've been really probably since the mid 80s so you know when you talk about the durability though some people just don't get hurt. It's just the way it goes, you know? Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. it's, it's Carl Malone was like that too until he finally got hurt when he was 40. But every year he played 82 games and some people can just do it. Like even my son, who I feel like should have 15 broken bones at this point, he finally broke a bone in his foot two weeks ago playing football because his foot got stuck. And we were like shocked he got hurt because we there were 30 times when we thought he should have hurt something. And just some people are or just have a body type that just allows that. But I do think the amount, the amount of time and money that he spends on his body, you know, and, and all the stuff, the dieting, he's been on that pretty early. So I think that's part of it. We're going to take a quick break. I want to keep talking about him. Hey, don't you wish you were at the post office right now? Me neither. The good news is anything you can do at the post office, you can do at stamps.com, save five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off shipping rates. That kind of savings really adds up, especially for small businesses. Personally print, official, U.S. postage, 24-7, any letter, any package, any class of mail for anywhere. And once your mail is ready, just drop it in the mailbox. With stamps.com, you get discounted postage rates. You can't even get it at the post office. A fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. No wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use stamps.com. That's a lot, 700,000. Right now, listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and 
a digital scale without any long-term commitment, go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in BS, stamps.com, enter BS. Okay, so here's the other crazy thing that happened with LeBron. I had Zach Lowe on my podcast, I think it was two Wednesdays ago. So we're talking now 11 days ago. And before we started recording, I said to Zach, like, you know, we're going to do this 25 best players if we're trying to win the playoffs right now gimmick. And, uh, and I was like, if we, if we have time at the end, what do you want to talk about? Like MVP? He's like, he's like, no, that's done. That's, that's a wrap. I'm like, you're right. It's a wrap. I looked at the odds. I think, look, I think Giannis that day was probably like minus 700 to win the MVP. Now the narrative started to shift because the Bucks, you know, started coming back to earth a tiny bit. They had a chance to go like 72 and 10, 70, and 12, whatever. And with the season Giannis is having, not just offensively, but defensively too, the MVP was a wrap. Now the Lakers are two games behind the Bucks. I emailed House and Sal yesterday and I was like, LeBron's four to one to win the MVP. I think if they beat the Clippers tomorrow, I think he's going to win it. And they were like, you're right, because they had big Giannis bets. And now LeBron is uh, plus 180. And you know how this goes. Ryan, you're a guy who's been in media for a long time. You know how this goes. People love narratives. You can feel where this is going. Giannis won last year. Nobody's going to feel bad if he doesn't win again. LeBron's having a great season. He's peaking at the right time. He's only won four MVPs. And if you're looking historically, uh, Kareem has six. FYI, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was fucking awesome. Go read that chapter in my book, people out there, if you want to understand Kareem. Kareem won six MVPs in 10 years in the 70s. So he's won six. Jordan won five. Um, and then Russell won five. LeBron has four. It feels like th this makes sense for him to win the fifth. Whether he deserves it or not, we can argue that when we get to uh, the end of the season pods. But it's back in play. Can you talk about your feelings about when narratives, <laughs> when narratives take hold in the 24-7 sports media cycle? I am telling you what's going to happen this week. The LeBron should win the MVP, followed by the next guy in, on the show going, well, he should win the MVP every year. He should have 15 MVPs, Ryan. And it's just, I know what's going to happen this week. Can't you feel it? Yeah, it's already happening. Okay. It's, it's absolutely already happening. So, uh, I've always said the MVP becomes more about story in that year than it does um, just like who do you who do you think is having the better season? And I, I know that you know like when 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 Nash won it, it was like okay, well this whole thing's new and this is really exciting. And then he did it even better, so it felt like he had to give it to him again. Steph changes the way the game is played, and so it's like okay, he's he's going to win it. And then it's like oh, he's even better, and the team's even better. We got to give it to him again, and. With LeBron, like, I also think there's times where you're like, okay, that guy's done. Like, I think Harden even being in the race, like, their playoff exits that he's had where I go, he'll never win another MVP <laughs> because of what everybody's going to see right now. And yet the fact that he's even, like, flirting with it, especially when he started the year at, like, 38, 37 points a game the first couple months. I'm like, is he actually going to win one? Because I didn't think anybody would ever vote for him again after being anti him after the playoffs. I didn't think Steph would ever win another one. I still don't think Steph will ever win another one. But... As Giannis has been this, this clear favorite, except for that very beginning, I would say the first six weeks with Harden, Giannis's numbers have been incredible. The team's record is going to be incredible on this record pace. I mean, they're not going to get to 73, 74 wins now. We know that. But um, 
I a week ago tweeted like, hey, does it feel like LeBron's being talked enough about with the MVP? And I don't know that I ever love that because I, I think it's always silly. It's like, hey, can you talk a little bit more about this guy? And you'd be like, what do you mean? The guy who's going to be fourth? Yeah, great. He's had a good year. He's going to be fourth. You know, like what topic has ever been presented where you're like, you know what I love is that the Indiana Pacers are talked about the perfect amount. You know, that, <laughs> that statement is never said about anything. But like when Mike Wilbon tweets out, I'm voting for LeBron. And whether it's the LeBron head-to-head thing with Giannis, which probably gets too much um, of an emphasis put on it for an MVP race, because that doesn't seem fair to Giannis, but then him to do this now. And then back to the whole point, which I'll transition to you here, is the voting and how the voting becomes the story. And then all of a sudden, a bunch of guys start looking around and the talk shows are saying it should be LeBron. And then people are like, you know what would be nice? Is LeBron getting one more? Giannis is going to be around forever. He's going to win a couple more. Giannis will be fine. He won one last year. What LeBron's doing, the one seed, they just beat him head-to-head on a marquee matchup that everybody was watching. Um, Let's give LeBron one more. And I do think voters, it's a lot like politics, where I think people become followers more so than leaders when it comes to those kinds of votes. And this stuff can happen really quick because that now becomes the better story that LeBron in this 35-year-old season, the one seed where I didn't think, look, I thought the Lakers were going to be good. I didn't think they were going to go after the regular season the way they had. And I could see this happening now. Like, I really, I'm, I still think it's a little dismissive to Giannis and what this team has been able to accomplish to just say today, hey, I'd vote LeBron, but you have a vote. So where are you right now? Here's my answer. And I and I would like to... um I would like to say this to all the people out there who are telling uh, America who they're voting for already. Fuck off. It's too early. It's game 64. (laughs) Fuck off. You can't say who you're voting for because the story has not been written yet. Here's what's happened over the last two weeks. Giannis had the MVP. It was over. LeBron has climbed back into the race. That's all we know. We now have 18 more games to figure out who should be the MVP. I would say right now, I would give Giannis a slight edge, but I think it's slight. And I think if, you know, if, if Milwaukee ends up 68 and 14 or 67 and 15 or whatever, and the Lakers are 65 and 17 and win loss record is now removed from the equation. And now we're just talking about all the stuff that goes into place with MVP, which as I've probably written more dumb words about the MVP than anybody. I have a whole system. I had a whole chapter in my book. (laughs) I probably care about it the most. I'm not, I'm, I'm ashamed. I wish I cared about it less, but you know, if you start with the premise of when I look back at this season someday, who I remember first, I think if you're going to, if the season ended today after 64 games, you might say LeBron, it's not a, it's not the wrong answer. And if you also had the question, if I could pick one player from this season, if the aliens dropped to earth and I had, I needed somebody to trust because the aliens are going to try to beat us in basketball probably picking LeBron or Kawhi, right? So you go through all these things and, you know, it's an MVP campaign season. It is. And they're going to, the nerds are going to get involved is what what's going to happen next because all of the metrics with Giannis are out of control. Per 36, the defensive numbers are way better than pretty much anybody in the league, actually. Uh, and then what he does offensively, the fact that they don't have a second all-star, the, the, the LeBron detractors will point to Anthony Davis. It's going to go. My advice to everybody, let it play out. Let's enjoy the next four weeks. We can argue about it, but nobody should decide until that final week. I think it's crazy to, I hate when people do this. I hate when the best of the year comes out on like November 20th. You know when they do that? Like magazines? 
and be like, remembering 2020. And it's like, it's November 20th. <laughs> There's a month left. How are we doing awards? We haven't even hit Thanksgiving. So I would say it's a two-man race. I think the odds are pretty fair. Giannis is like minus 200. LeBron's in that plus 170, 180 range. And I think if the Lakers continue to lay the smackdown and LeBron continues to go 28, eight and eight with, you know, eight free throws a game and, you know, he's going to lead the league and assist and carry this team. That's really a two man team with a bunch of weird role players. I think he deserves to be in it. So that's my answer. Is that a fair answer? Yeah, it's a fair answer, but that's not how it works. You know, I know. Nobody, I nobody know. would have you on a TV show going, hey, we're going to have Bill on to tell us to not say who your MVP is in the A block. Um, <laughs> you know, just, I would. That's what not. I would do. I did it on Countdown. We, I remember we did an MVP thing on Countdown once. I was like, it's too early. I'm not saying who my MVP is. I need to see more basketball. But I think it's. I think this race, I don't remember another time when the race was dead and then became alive. Really, it was Giannis Harden there for about two months. And then it just seemed like Giannis was going to win for another, what, 10 weeks there? And now... Yeah, it, it fell over. Know. And yeah. we do do that. We do that a lot. We make that mistake. By the way, one time I was on SportsCenter, we were doing a LeBron-MJ debate, which was just killer. And <laughs> um, I, I decided, I'd always thought it was hilarious. What was the game show? You'll remember this. Where you could pass, <laughs> you could just say, um, I forget what it was. It was like you had to guess a word, and if the clue was just you, you weren't feeling it, and it wasn't like rapid fire, but it was like and you could just go like the game contestant could go pass. Oh, like so card sharks or it, match game, one of those? Joker's yeah, Wild? Like that. Yeah. I don't I don't think it was card sharks, although I love that show, but it came around to me you know everybody like legs had said his his piece and another nba guy had said his thing they're like ryan i went and i just looked at the gandhi and i went pass and uh nobody got it nobody really loved it i was really proud of myself for for doing that but it's not it's not great television um let's nerd out for a second because i did do all the numbers yeah between Giannis and lebron just to do those for everybody and i know there's even more than i looked at but win shares uh harden's actually still first there um but, you know, if you want to start talking attempts and the every time it's a per 30, I don't think anybody does the per per 48 because it just doesn't really make any sense. But when Giannis plays as many minutes as he does, he's, he's low minutes, 30-31 uh, compared to everybody else. But he's second win shares, and he's almost even with LeBron, who's third. And by the way, the first three guys are almost double the fourth place guy in win shares, and that's Jokic. So hmm. that's just kind of putting into perspective how far and away those three guys are to the rest of the league. Real plus minus, that's close, but Giannis is almost a full point ahead of LeBron, so they're first and second. Defensive plus minus, Giannis is third. LeBron's actually fourth. Um, I would argue that Giannis has been more of an impact defensive player the entire season, though, based on matchups than LeBron has, where LeBron's been better as um, a guy that's kind of, you know, he play he plays a lesser opponent, but it also helps him freelance a little bit more. But I also think he has Anthony Davis with him, which changes a lot of things because Davis is just insane. The offensive plus minus, it's second and third again in the league. The edge Giannis. The PER is a pretty big gap. Giannis is first, LeBron's seventh. Uh the defensive box scores. This is where Giannis actually doubles up on LeBron and it's pretty impressive. And then win shares is like ten and a half to nine. So LeBron's right there, but Giannis is ahead of him in every single one of them. So we talked about narratives. 
this is in the, in the giant MVP column I wrote about my book. And I did the all-time MVP travesties and counted them down. And you know what the number one travesty of all time was. It was Carl Malone winning the 1997 MVP. And here's what happened. This is what I wrote. And it was the second Bulls season after Jordan came back. So they won 73. He wins the unanimous MVP or almost close to unanimous, whatever it was. They win the title. The next year was a really good Bulls team, 69 and 13. And everyone's just bored with the season. I know. And so here's what, exactly. here's what, here's what I wrote. See if this sounds familiar. By mid-March, once everyone realized the Bulls couldn't win 73 games, we were just plain bored and awaiting the playoffs. Then SI's Jackie McMullen wrote the following piece for March 19th column on Sports Illustrated. Headline, The Jazz Master. Subhead, Malone is playing like an MVP. Not that anyone has noticed. You get the idea. You can't blame Jackie for looking for a cute angle. She spent about 800 words talking about how underappreciated Malone was over the years. That got the ball rolling. Within a couple weeks, this became the cute story du jour. Why couldn't the mailman win the MVP? I hadn't even started my old website yet, but I remember thinking, why couldn't he win the MVP? Because MJ's in the league. How about that reason? <laughs> so <laughs> he ended up winning. He won the MVP, and it was honestly the the dumb, stupid narrative thing. And so we've seen that. There's been years where I think Kobe in 2008, I think that was a classic narrative MVP. There were He should have won in 2006. 2008 was, I, I thought Kevin Gardner or Chris Paul should have won. But right around mid-March, the narrative starts. And I think you and I both see where this is heading. This is this is the LeBron. This is like Al Pacino's scent of a woman type of when he won for the Oscar for that year. You know, where it's like, it's not just about this season. It's about, you know what? LeBron doesn't have enough MVPs. This is even between these two guys. Giannis won last year. LeBron's having an awesome season. Let's give this to him. We're going to give this, we're going to give him his fifth MVP. He deserves it. And if that and if it plays out that way and they're relatively even, I'm not against it. Are you? If it plays out that way, no, I'm, I'm, not. I'm actually not against it. So we'll I'm see. I'm not down though with, I don't like the revisionist history though of like, oh, that guy was the best. LeBron should have just won it 10 years in a row. No. You're like, okay, nope. well, that's, that's not fair. And, and even with the MJ stuff, like, look, I'm a huge Barkley fan. Everybody knows that. I don't think Barkley winning it in that first year in Phoenix was bad. No. Nope. Um, he was incredible. He was he incredible was. that year and he changed the entire franchise. And, you know, of all the Jordan finals, like that's the one I play back in my head probably more than any of them where I go, that should have been the one they lost. Yeah. And they didn't, you know, look, he did what he did to everybody, just like you mentioned before, Drexler, Magic, Barkley, and then Malone um, a couple times there. And then Gary Payton even, although Sean Kemp doesn't feel like he should necessarily be in that conversation of, of denying one of the, the game's greats he, as much fun as he was to watch. But you know, maybe it's it's that stupid thing we do in college football all the time. You know, it's week five and you're like, oh, there's seven undefeated teams. What the hell's the committee going to do? And you're like, oh, some teams are probably going to lose. You know, <laughs> They're playing each other. Are, some teams, Yeah, some teams are probably going to lose. And then, you know, if you were to say in December, like maybe this is the perfect counterbalance, at least for this year, where it's, oh, it's Giannis. And if you even suggested anybody else, and like people thought I was sarcastic with my tweet a week ago where I go, you know, I feel like LeBron's being a little overlooked in this MVP thing. And people are like, obviously, you're kidding, Rosillo. And I'm like, I know I do the sarcasm thing, but when you're actually trying to be sincere about it, nobody even believes you. And then it brings out everybody who's already lined up with their camps on on where they feel about LeBron. But maybe the, the pivot here is, is valid, where, yes, the narrative thing is going to take off. This week is going to be flooded 
with opinion people going, my vote's for LeBron. But I don't know. Again, I'd have to go over and look at who was voting because most of the people on the TV shows don't have to vote anyway. But it starts to, almost like a campaign, it starts to influence everybody. But maybe that's a good thing in this case because LeBron shouldn't have been written off as quickly as he was. But again, when the Bucks, I remember at one point when they had three losses and I look back and I go, this team could actually be undefeated right now. Right. <laughs> and, and you know, it's, nobody's going to want to hear it. Like, nobody's going to want to hear your LeBron MVP segment, but you're right. Like, that's why it's 82 games, man. And that's, if he were to win as of right now, I wouldn't be against it. But I, again, I think when you look at all those stats I just ran through, like if we're a week removed from what the Lakers just did this weekend, what if they have a bad loss? And I don't think it should be every single night, this stuff. I don't think it should be head-to-head in the NBA over the course of a season. But I can. we both know where this is going. We both absolutely know where this is going. And if they keep playing this way and LeBron has another head-to-head and they have an April, what is it, April 7th matchup, so I don't yeah. know who will even be Look, playing in that Lakers-Clippers game. Who knows? There's two things to remember as you hear all these people talking about it this week. First of all, do you know how many MVPs LeBron should have at this point? He has four. How many do you think he should have? I'll give you the answer. Four. I was there the whole time. I had my calm his entire career. I had a vote for most of that time. He's won the right amount of MVPs. There's no revisionist history where he should have had seven. He should have had eight. He should have four. It's the right number. The only case you could potentially make. Derrick Rose. The Derrick Rose year. But go back and read. I was writing about the league back then. Zach Lowe was writing about the league. Nobody was making the, you know, who's the MVP LeBron. And we can go backwards and look at the stats and stuff, but it just was not in the ether back then. Um, other than that, you know, if he ends up with the fifth one here, great. That's awesome. So that's one thing to remember. He should, he, he should actually have four MVPs. That's the right number. It doesn't, doesn't take away from the fact that he's the second best player of all time. Um, and then the second thing is, for anyone to say with 18 games left that they voted on the MVP is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. We're, we we have a full quarter of the season left and a lot of things in play. We just saw how things swung over the last 10 days. You know, Giannis could come back and put up 40 a night for three straight weeks and just take the MVP back. So uh, I would say settle down, but let's play it out and we can do the whole LeBron thing. All the usual suspects will be buttering it up and and pouring it on, and we know who they are. Uh, we're going to take another break. A lot of other stuff to talk about. Hey, companies around the world are solving their most important challenges with Google Cloud. For instance, PayPal, who's solving for millions of Daily Hope's dreams and financial ambitions, and Google Cloud is helping them achieve their mission to transform the prosperity and opportunity of millions of businesses around the world. Businesses. Businesses. Businesses, Google Cloud, businesses. My, my speaking is getting better as I keep doing these Google Cloud reads. Google Cloud, with massive scale and processing power, PayPal is connecting Main Street to every street. Google Cloud, what are you solving for? Visit g.co slash cloud slash solving. Once again, that is g.co slash cloud slash solving. All right, we have some other hardcore basketball stuff to talk about. One shocking thing that happened over the weekend was Kenny Greathire Atkinson got fired by the Brooklyn Nets, um, probably the media's po- most popular coach. I'm actually upset that I don't have a better relationship with Kenny Atkinson because everyone else does. But people reacted. Um, people reacted like, I don't know, like a child was trapped in a well. They were just shocked and horrified. And um, they won 42 games last year. Didn't really seem like they had a great feel to them this year. And 
Um, I can't say I was shocked. I was shocked at the timing to do it with 20 games left, but I don't think anybody watched the the Kyrie part of the net season this year and thought, oh, this will work out great with him and Kenny Atkinson. Did you feel that way when you watched Kyrie this year? Where you're like, man, he's finally found a finally found a coach who understands him. I did not feel that way. So I was shocked, but not shocked. What was your reaction? Well, first of all, the NBA media likes Kenny Atkinson more than the mainstream media likes that climate change teenager. <laughs> um, and, Bretta. and I would agree that <laughs> I would agree that like when I saw some of our really close friends rave about his hire and then freak out when he got fired, I, I like you, was like, should I have just called him more? <laughs> could I? Could I should I have said him a Christmas gift. <laughs> could I have been like, well, my net sources are telling me. Like, I could have been a, more of a Nets guy. Uh, yeah, you blew it. I, I didn't realize. So I'll, t- I'll tell you this. Like, I, I had all sorts of thoughts on this. So... It, yeah, it was a surprise. They're competitive. Um, let me just get to my main one because it's it's the one that probably drove me the most crazy about this whole thing. That when Kyrie and Katie went there, this idea that it was that the Nets had built this culture that these two stars were like in such favor of. It's like, okay, we like the way the Nets do things. Bullshit. Okay? And actually, I don't blame Kyrie for saying all the right things. Hey, I like the culture. I like the staff. I like the way they do things. I really like Kenny Atkinson. I was reading Durant's quotes this weekend after it happened where he was like, I went on YouTube and started looking at clips that they were doing. And I was like looking at these different (laughs) clips and stuff they run. And I was like, man, this is the guy for me. And I don't blame those guys for saying that. Okay. I blame people for believing it. (laughs) Right. And it's really simple. Kyrie and Katie are close. Kyrie was never staying in Boston. Okay. He was never staying. And I don't believe he even thought he was staying when he was like, if you guys will have me, that was his way of getting everybody off of him. Katie, we both know had probably made up his mind very early on. And the Warriors sort of knew just the whole time there was this last minute hope. And there was even hope when he got hurt, like, Hey, we'll give you that fifth year if you want to stay here. And he wasn't. And so those two guys get together. Like, where do you want to go? They weren't going to go to Chicago. Um, and I don't mean that as like anti-Chicago and there's all these different cap situations who had cap room, who didn't. And it was basically like, what place can we go do our thing? That's in a big market. And you know, we don't want to go to the Knicks cause of Dolan. So we're just going to go to, that's it. That's all it was. And it's okay that that's all it was. And I don't even care that they were trying to tell us it was anything other than that. Like, I don't like, I know how the game is played, but for other people to buy it and act like, yep, the Nets way is the way. And it's pretty simple. If those guys liked Atkinson, he would still be the coach. Now, I don't know what Durant had to do with it. I guess Durant hasn't even talked to the Nets media since September. Is that right? That's what I read. Uh. Um, and and Kyrie, like, I'm not even going to turn this into an anti-Kyrie thing. Oh, please do. I just wonder. No, I'll let you do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I sent a few texts, though. I was like, how are you, what are you hearing on this? And, and the one constant thing that was similar, because there were a lot of confused people about it, where um, it's Joseph Tsai, right? Yeah. The new owner? Yes. Right. He went and talked to players. Mm. And I have this theory. I've written about it, but it hasn't been published yet. Um, the new owner syndrome. That's my I've theory. Like 20 you years. St- you thief. No. You thief. Did you? Oh, I think it was newer owner syndrome is what my title was. <laughs> No, it, are you I love serious? It. When did you come up with that? Uh, a while ago. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, 
I don't read everything you do, man. I'm sorry. That's fine. Uh, it's fine. We'll but, get we'll get through okay, this. Okay, well, look, we're on the same page then. So the point is, is like, if you're a new owner and it's like, hey, you know what I'm going to do? Go down to the locker room and ask the kids how they feel about their coach. Like, none, none of, no one likes anybody anymore. So I don't know if Atkinson was like, hey, these guys tuned me out. I'm ready to move on somewhere else. Because I've heard that theory, too, that it was mutual and that he wanted to do this so he get a jump on the next thing. That's how they sold it. It doesn't make any sense because here's what coaches like to do. They like to coach. Coaches, nobody likes getting fired. And even though they were going to beat anybody in the playoffs, I'm sure he wanted to keep the job. But I don't know how much of this. I know that the real popular thing is that Kyrie was pulling all the strings behind the whole thing. I don't know. I mean, Dinwiddie didn't get back into that game when they came back against the Celtics, which I thought was really interesting. Like Dinwiddie never got back into that game because Karis LeVert goes for 50. So I'm, I'll give you the floor here because I don't have it definitive enough to blame like one player. But it sounds like the players in general just didn't like him and the owner went with the players. Well, there was definitely the DeAndre Jordan slash Jared Allen thing was definitely weird because if you asked 100 people who watch basketball, who's better, Jared Allen or DeAndre Jordan, and who would you, who should you play in a season where you have no chance of winning the title, is there anybody who would pick DeAndre Jordan? Is there one person who would be like, no, actually, you should probably play Jared Allen, the young guy who keeps getting better. Kyrie might. Already had some good moments. Yeah. Well, he's, he's boys with uh, Kyrie and KD. I think that was trouble. And then the other thing was like he had that motion offense, you know, everybody gets involved and everybody was super happy playing for him last year. And, you know, when Kyrie was out there this year, it was like, hey, guys, clear out. <laughs> I got this. And it's I don't think that was Kenny Atkinson's offense. You made the key point with the owner. We've seen this. I think I'm trying to remember the first time this was on my radar, but I think it was when Wick bought the Celtics. And they did, remember he like retired Cedric Maxwell's number and then they did that Rafe LaFrance trade. And it's just like when new owners come in, they just kind of want to do stuff. You know, even Toman Fertitta, it's like the Westbrook trade, didn't have to do the Westbrook trade, but he just kind of wants to get on, get on the board. It's almost like they're at a casino and they're sitting down at a, a blackjack table and the cards aren't there and they just start upping their bets. Just like, oh man, I got to turn this around. All of a sudden they're uh, in a hole. But uh, I we see this all the time. And I'm with you. I think it, I think the owner, I think he's super tight with uh, with Durant and KD just from these, these guys were investments to him and probably just wants to find a coach that they bless. And obviously they didn't bless Kenny Atkinson. They can... Everyone who tweeted this weekend or, or wrote that if those two guys wanted him to stay, he would have stayed. That's how the league works, unfortunately. There's no conspiracy theory in that. If if those two guys liked him, he would still be there. Do you agree with that? Of course. Because yeah. why, why would they do that? Why would they bring in these two guys? And then, you know, I, there's no way. I mean, of all the scenarios you want to believe or don't want to believe, there's no way that like Kyrie and Katie are texting Sean Marks going, what the hell, dude? Right. Whoa. What, what about a heads up? <laughs> yeah, there's no way. So there, there's no way that that happened. Um, you, you did say something in there, though, that I thought was because I'm trying to actually pull it up right now. And I don't know if you're going to be interested in this. Put, but pull, pull it up. I had one more point. OK, go ahead. I will say this. It seems like the other teams really respected how the Nets kind of did their stuff. There, there was surprise more in the, in the coach kind of executive community 
about this one. I do think he's respected. And, you know, sometimes that's a little off because we've seen that in other cases, like Fisdale on Memphis, when he, when that thing fell through, it was the same kind of thing. So I, I never know what's real and not real, but I do know that when the Celtics played them and I always felt like the Nets were like really well-prepared, really smart. They were a little Brad Stevensy, and uh, I don't know. I, I, I respected him as a coach. And, you know, I think everybody's been talking about how there's going to be 10, 12 jobs potentially open this summer. I would say he's at the top of the line. And when people were saying, you know, oh, they're saying it was mutual. Come on. There's never a mutual thing. I actually think this might've been mutual because I think he saw the writing on the wall. The sooner you get out, the sooner you're at the front of the line for all these other coaching jobs. And there's going to be some really good ones. I think he makes sense with the Knicks, ironically. <laughs> I actually really think I could, I think that's a great PR move for the Knicks too. It's not like they're going to find a better coach than him. So why can't he be the Knicks coach? He gets to stay in New York. His whole family's there. And they could be, you know, that would be one way of them getting one up on the, the Nets, especially if he does a good job. Thoughts on that one? No? Uh, I think it would be. I, no, 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 no. Look, I'm not, I'm not disputing at all. I don't think, um, I don't see Dolan doing that. I, I really think, and again, this is like, it feels like it's going to be a Leon Rose thing. So I don't know what the relationship is there. I'm not saying that, I, I actually, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, would the Knicks feel that like, oh, we're getting the Nets guy that was fired? even though he might be the right guy. I just don't think that the Knicks would do that. Um, can we all... It just it feels like... A, can we all agree that this... this Since the KD Kyrie signings, it hasn't gone well for the Nets? And just leave it at that. Was, we're talking six, seven, eight. It's been a rough eight months for the Nets. Really feeling good last April and May. They'd really turned things around. Good times. Building a little something, had some cap space, and now it's like, yikes. And, you know, if KD doesn't come back 100%, gets even, uh, gets even a little dicier. What were you looking up? I was looking up the new owner stuff, but I, I did think it was important to just mention with Atkinson that I never know what's fair or like who is actually responsible for the development? Because sometimes it's the player and the coach stinks and the player gets better and then everybody says the coach was awesome at developing them. That mistake has been made. And then there's other times where the player absolutely develops because of the coaching staff. You know, there's so many guys in San Antonio that's happened with. Um, I think Brad Stevens, when you look at who these young players have turned into, like he has to get credit for that. Um, and when you look at D'Angelo Russell, who was just a mess of a player, and even though I don't really love him, he turned into a really good player for them and obviously not good enough to get in the way of them bringing in Kyrie and KD. So that's not going to matter. So it don't matter. They moved on from him. And Dinwiddie is like a movie that I told was going to, you know, I was told was going to be bad. So I've always kind of liked Dinwiddie, but there's parts of his game that I, I don't always love. Um, it's almost like Russell or excuse me, uh, D'Angelo Russell light at times, but Atkinson benched D'Angelo Russell last year in a Houston Rockets comeback where it was actually like led by Dinwiddie. And then he benches, as I mentioned before, Dinwiddie and that Celtics comeback. And I wonder if that actually is why guys don't bench their best players, even if the play on the court tells you to keep them on the bench. Right. Like, you know how many games we watch where you'll see the comeback happen with the other group because it's matchups or they're more inspired or your starter just doesn't really have it. But you just put your guy back in. And maybe that's why you put your guy back in so you don't get fired. And I really think it's a bigger topic on what 
does today's player want in a coach? Because I really think what he wants more than anything, I don't think guys want hard coaching. I don't think guys want to be benched when they don't deserve to be in the game. I think guys want things to be easy. And I think the biggest thing is personality and how are you going to impact my lifestyle? And unfortunately, that's what I think that job is now. And it's really, really hard to be somebody who's newer because Atkins is newer. Like Pop can get away with anything. Doc can get away with anything. Brad, I think, is lucky that he's had really good guys that buy in like Horford. Um, and Gordon really wouldn't have much of a, a you know, like what's he going to yell at Marcus uh, Smart. Brad Stevens who recruited him? Yeah, Marcus Smart. Kemba is the anti-Kyrie. He's buying in. Jalen and Jason are, are young enough on that team that they're probably going to buy in a little bit more as younger guys. But you start feeling yourself a little bit in this league. And I just, I don't think most of these guys really want that coaching. Like why... I, I don't know. Kyrie has that relationship with Ty Lue, so we've already heard that name there. But this first year, though, were you saying, hey, has this first year been a disaster? It was kind of supposed to be a disaster. So to me, this grade is still incomplete. Like, as bad as the Nets could go in the playoffs, because it's not going to go great, and as bad as this is, this whole thing, like, this was never about this year. It's only about what they are in probably the two following years. Or Again, it's four-year contracts, so we'll see. I'll be interested to see if Ty, Law, if Ty Lue wants to uh, coach Kyrie again. We should mention... Kenny Atkinson, represented by CAA, where Leon Rose ran the basketball. Oh, so there you go. Ran the basketball division. So, yeah. Do you, do you want me to? Um, that was good. I'm glad you put that because as I was thinking of it out loud, I'm like, if Atkinson's a CAA guy, then there's your Leon Rose connection. Do you want me to go over a few amazing new owner highlights in my manifesto that I wrote up? I can't wait. Okay. Um, Prokhorov, 2010 Nets, promised a championship in five years. Um. They had free agency cap space. They signed Travis Outlaw, Johan Petro, and Jordan Farmar with their cap space. Great picture Petro of that. Great Williams. picture of them on signing day holding the Nets jerseys up. One of my favorite dumb NBA pictures. <laughs> All of them holding they, their then Nets they traded, they traded the pick that was Damian Lillard to take on a 30-year-old Gerald Wallace and his 30 million remaining. Yeah, um, just, just for the record, quick. that trade was a true apocalypse immediately when it happened. I have a column somewhere going completely crazy about it because they only did a top three protected thing. And then remember Billy King had the classic quote, uh, we only, only like four players or five yeah, players. We only like three players. Right? No, I thought it was, we only like three players in the draft. That's why they top three protected it. But meanwhile, they That's made right. the trade That's in right. February. Yeah. Great one. Good job. Meanwhile, Portland uh, would have done it for probably a lottery protected pick. That was tough. Keep going. Cuban bought, the team in 2000 and the first draft they like drafted guys that never played there and i'm not going to bore everybody to death because i have it all outlined of the whole thing so after he drafted these guys he couldn't get them out of there quick enough and in february 2001 so he's owned the team a year so he's still in that new owner syndrome window he traded for juan howard's 39 million remaining on his contract but it actually got better because then a year later at the deadline, he traded the Juwan Howard money for Rafe LaFrance and then doubled down on Rafe and gave him a seven-year, $70 million deal. Um, I will never, ever forget, because this is me before I'm even working in sports. I'm bartending. I'm driving around Burlington, Vermont, in my beat-up pickup truck. And I would listen to Dan Patrick's show religiously and Kornheiser. And little did I know the seeds were being planted. And Cuban came on, and I'm I'm just a guy going, boy, that seems stupid. Like, who's this Cuban guy? 
And Cuban came on and talked about acquiring Rafe and then giving him $70 million. And it was just a, a nod to how brilliant Cuban is as just a person because he was so good in defending it and explaining how great it was that I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Now I get it. <laughs> and it and it was just it was so impressive by Cuban. And then the irony of that, as you mentioned, Wick and his ownership group take over in 2003. And it's honestly like one of the only things they've done wrong. But it's that thing that you're talking about. You finally own a team. I want to do something. And then they ironically traded for Rafe's banged up knee and the money remaining on the Cuban deal that he had just given him. So it was almost like this thing where it's like, oh, wow, I just screwed up. Who just bought a team? Oh, I'm going to give these guys our banged up guy. Joe Lakeup in 2010, he bought the Warriors in 2011. They did a sign and trade because they wanted to make a splash and gave David Lee six years, 80 million. I have millions more of these. Well, Vivek, these, don't, there's don't, nothing more predictable. Wait, 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 you can't leave out Vivek. Vivek was a classic new owner syndrome guy. He, t- he came in and he was like, look, I don't know if you guys know this, but my daughter's eight year old uh, girls basketball team. I put in a press. We won every game. I'm ready to own an NBA team now. And they, they started doing stuff like from the moment he took over. Remember they were doing all kinds of things. Uh, that was I when they did all. that. They did that crazy trade where they traded a, f- traded a future pick to, uh, to Philly Remember, So, so they could take some contracts so they could sign Rajon Rondo. Remember that? That was a classic. New I have it all drug. here. Yeah. No, I'm, I have it all here. He bought it March, 2013. Um, his first deal they did a deal because they didn't want to pay Tyreek Evans. And I have my notes. I'm like, okay, you don't want to pay Tyreek. That's fine. But they moved out Tyreek Evans and Robin Lopez and ended up with Gravis Vasquez and Jeff Withy and two second rounders. Nice. And then the Rudy Gay deal. Because remember when Vivek did this, he's like, look, I'm loaded. And you know <laughs> what I do? I find value where there is no value. And nobody wants Rudy Gay because he's expensive and makes your team worse. I'm in. <laughs> and he traded for him. And then he's like, three he years a- later, I'll be traded for Harrison Barnes too. Don't count me out. He, he, they had Rudy Gay. This is 13, 14 money. Remember? Okay. Yeah. Rudy Gay was making 18 and was due 19.3 the following year. And then he blew out his Achilles and they gave him a $40 million extension. It's so there's you know a million we examples. Doing the- yeah, can I give you the psychology? Right. These yeah, guys, I already know what it is, but go well, ahead. Well, these guys have just been in charge of shit and made a lot of money, and they're used to getting what they want. And they assume, I'm going to take over this basketball team, and I'm just going to do it the way I've done everything else. I'm a huge success. It's not going to be any different. I'm just going to I'm going to be me, and I, I'm just going to win like I've won everywhere else. And they go in, and <laughs> they try to immediately do a lot of stuff, which never works. They end up trusting either too few people or having too many people. Balmer's a good example, right? Balmer, who I had on my podcast, I think two years ago, and he talked about this. He was like, I came in, I I gave Doc Rivers way too much power. I made him my coach and my GM. Now, as I've been in the league a couple of years, I realized those are two different jobs. And it's like, yeah, yeah, those are two different jobs. Nobody, Nobody's ever pulled those two jobs off successfully at the same time without help. But the, yeah, so it's, we'll see. I think, I feel like Joe Sy has more stuff in it, in him. I think there's more coming. Oh, no I think doubt. this is a tip of the iceberg I, for him. 
I, uh, you know, we were talking about after the lap pull down scene in Vision Quest that Matthew Modine apparently is still upset about because he yeah. can't stop tweeting about it. And we were saying, you know, you want to be the sports continuity guy, sports advisor on movies. It's a role that I've always hope to have like you see a movie a baseball movie and the guy runs from second base to first on the camera angle and you're like he probably could have done that better <laughs> um and i think i think there's another business where the next new guy that buys a team you and i fly in suits no tie maybe one of us has a briefcase and we sit down and we go hey you just bought the fill in the blank team and we have these like big grins on our face we're like look we know you're excited <laughs> You know, you just think we're two idiots on a podcast. Yeah. One's a little bit more successful than the other. But we know what you're going to feel, Billy. You're going to want to do this. Like Neil O'Shea is going to call you, congratulate you on buying a team. And then he's going to try to trade you Carmelo Anthony for a first rounder. <laughs> and you're going to want to do it. <laughs> and what what we're telling you to do is don't do anything the first two years. Don't yeah. do anything. Sit it out. Because you're right now you're. You're unbelievably stupid. You think you're smart because you have been, but these first 24 months on the job with your courtside seats, you're an idiot and everybody is going to prey on you and try to dump their garbage on you. And you're going to want to do it because it's a little different than trading for Patrick Mahomes in fantasy, isn't it? Yeah. It's fun. Like if, but you just, if you went to a strip joint, new owner guy wearing a suit, that's just all $100 bills that could be plucked off. And you go sit down in a booth and strippers start coming at you and offering lap dances and flirting with you, all this stuff. Guess what? It's not because you, it's because you're wearing that suit with a hundred dollar bills. And same thing with you take over a team. You're just like fresh meat. You're the dude in Shawshank when the, when the fresh meat comes in in the beginning and they're betting on who's going to fold first, you're fresh meat. Every Daryl's like, Oh my God, a new owner. I, I can make a trade with and, and basically pillage him. So here, here's would be my advice. I don't even think we need the briefcase in the meeting. Next guy who buys a team, I'm not sure who that's going to be. We'll just, we'll, we'll free of services, me, Rosillo and house. We'll just be on a text thread. Just the four of us just float some of your ideas. And if all three of us make fun of the idea, don't do it. Right. It's that simple. Yeah. Look, we, we make mistakes, but all I'm telling you is you're going to make really stupid ones. Because all anyone's ever done, like I think Wick and his ownership group, I really think they're as good as it gets. I really do. Like, think how smart they've been. Like, they hired Ainge, what, in yeah. 03, you know? And people were like, that guy, like, he only coached, he didn't do it. And maybe there was a little love because he was part of the 86 team. But Ainge, you know, and I know it's just weird. Like, people liked hating on Ainge. And it's not like I even talked to the guy. So I don't, I don't have some sort of bias here where I'm talking him up. But like, Ainge wins trades. Um, and he doesn't do the stupid thing. He doesn't do the terrible signing that doesn't make any sense. And you can make fun of the Gordon Hayward one, but he just hasn't been healthy. And every other team would have been in line to give Gordon Hayward that contract when he's a free agent. But my point is, like, they're really good at what they do. And that first year, they made a mistake. Like, Angels, you could argue the worst trade they ever made was, like, that first one with Rafe because you were taking on Rafe. And then they had really to bad. flip Rafe in a first-rounder to take on Theo Ratliff just to have somebody else take on the extra year of Rafe's contract. So they had that cost him, you know, that that Brandon Roy pick. So, so, um, so somebody buys care, the Knicks. I don't care how good you are. Right. Somebody buys the Knicks. Let's say Dolan tomorrow says, fuck this. I'm out. Sells the Knicks to happy new owner guy. The me, you and house are in a text thread with them. Mid June, he texts us. Hey, 
Sam Presti says I could have Chris Paul. What do you guys think? What do we say? Well, I would say yes. I love Chris Paul. I do, I kind of do too. Maybe that's a bad example. Scratch that one. No, I have one for you. Okay, give I, me I give have, me a better no, one. No. Who? I I have the best one ever. Okay. I just thought of it. All right, who? What's the guy's name? What's the new owner's name? Uh, Billy Schmuckman. <laughs> Billy Schmuckman. Hey, Mr. Schmuckman, it's Daryl Morey with the Houston Rockets. Congratulations on purchasing the team. Um. I don't know if you've read some of the analytic pieces. You just had the conference at Sloan. Um, wide is in now. Wide hips are in. And uh, Eric Gordon's wider than R.J. Barrett. And I think that would make sense for you guys. So if you could do a, a non-protected first in R.J. Barrett because he's younger and Eric Gordon has more experience and is wider, I'd like to offer that trade. But I'm still not 100% sure if I want to do it. So but I'll call you back in five minutes. I'll th- and I'll throw in Jeff Green. Do you like the wider thing? I like wider the wider thing. That now. was good. I thought you were going Westbrook. Hey, Russell Westbrook, he made the All-NBA team again. You know, his contract, if you look at production, is pretty fair. You've got a lot of cap space. You need a star in New York. By the way, yeah. I just, I have to follow up there. I'm not going to comment anymore on any Westbrook trade rumors. So I'm, I'm staying on that one. Okay. Aggregators beware. We're taking a break. We're bare back. Hey, it's allergy season. You know what that means? Sneezing, watery eyes, runny nose. Head to the pharmacy in search of relief. Well, research shows 80% of allergy sufferers fail to select the best medication off the shelf to treat their symptoms. And on the flip side, you could even spend up to uh, forever in a specialist waiting room, trying to get an appointment, get a prescription, whatever. I've had allergies my entire life. I used to get shots way back when. Now I'm, I'm pretty happy with the nasal inhaler I have, but... You know, not everybody knows they have allergies. They're they're actually hurting me today. Our friends at Roman are now offering prescription allergy relief delivered right to your door. It takes the guessing game out of finding the right allergy treatment. Complete a free online visit with a U.S. licensed physician, and they'll develop a personalized allergy treatment plan that works for you, hand-selected by their board-certified ENT, so you know you're getting expert recommendations. Roman's Pharmacy will ship your medication directly to your door. Free two-day shipping. Free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to talk about adjusting your treatment plan with Roman. No commitments. Cancel anytime. Stop wandering aimlessly through the allergy treatment aisle at the pharmacy. Go to GetRoman.com slash Bill for a free online visit. Once again, GetRoman.com slash Bill. Eligibility requirements and additional terms do apply. You thought the Rockets might have the Encore virus. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. Um, let's, let's revisit last week's pod. Because this is also something that's pretty fascinating. Is that now you and I were two pro rockets? Is yeah. that what people are going with? Here's what happened. The Rockets did a thing where everybody doubted them. I brought up once again that when the Rockets do things that people doubt, it actually usually works out for the Rockets despite playoff failures or lack of success. Because I don't think them going to game seven against the Warriors was a failure at all. I thought that was a success. So I thought that was important to bring up. And guess what? They kept beating everybody. They unlocked Westbrook in a new way. But we still left it with the, this has been really good. Let's give them credit. But what does it mean? I wasn't picking them to win a title. I mentioned the rebound rate. And since that podcast, they lost to the Knicks where they were out-rebounded by 31. 
They lost to the Clippers. They were out-rebounded by only six, but that game was disgusting in the first half. It ended up being a 15-point differential. That's not what that game was. Russ shot 0 for 2 from 3. Harden was 0 for 8. They lost to Charlotte, where they actually won the rebounding edge, but started off the game down 20 to nothing, and they lost to Orlando tonight, where they are out-rebounded by 11. Harden, in his last five games, is 12 of 59 from 3 for 20%. Westbrook missed... Um, the Charlotte game, Eric Gordon's missed the last two games, and I will only present this theory. They were due for a stinker because they were beating everybody, so that's not a problem. The Clippers thing I don't think was that much of a surprise, but then you go Orlando and Charlotte, like what the hell's going on? Is it possible that despite the talk of how them being small, they're not really small in stature, they're big, they push people off of driving lanes, they're wide, they, they have these big hips, like these are all these things that people are buying into when they're winging, you know, Westbrook drives are like post touches because everybody collapses if he doesn't want to take a layup. Could it also just be that this is exhausting and maybe they're not going to win an NBA championship with it? So that was my theory when this happened, that there was no way they was could, a good one. there was no way they could sustain it. That, yeah, you could do this, but you can't actually do this for four months. You can't do this in, uh, you know, the third round of the NBA playoffs when you're playing every other night. You can't physically do this when you're undersized like this. And then they played so well. <laughs> Last week, we we both apologized and admitted, all right, we misread this. We were wrong. And now they've completely fallen apart. There were a lot of rumors about Harden at the uh, Encore Casino in Boston the night before. And um, I'll put it this way. I have some friends with the Celtics, as do you. All of them had sa have said that this new casino being built in downtown Boston was one of the best advantages they've had in a while, uh, just in general. Because the NBA players, they stay downtown somewhere near there. It's like a 10-minute cab ride or Uber if they have a car or whatever. And you put Blackjack that close to an NBA star of, of certain stature with a lot of disposable income, they know they can go somewhere and not be bothered, go in the high the high roller area. And uh, and odds are they might go. And I think the heart of the next day was like, what, seven for 25? Something like that. And there was just a lot of Boston buzz that he'd been in the encore. And uh, and, I, and they still won that game. I, look, I did. remember watching the beginning of that game. That's the first thing I'll look at. Like, I'll look at certain defensive matchups in, in Harden which I think we even touched on before, but like I watched his first few fake closeouts. I was like, whoa, like he's, he's not locked in. And then Somebody he came back no and won legs. the freaking game. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know that it's quite a Toronto day game on the weekend, home court advantage. Where <laughs> it felt like, I, I think you'd have to be able to retire if you'd only bet Toronto at home during the day on a weekend. Cause I swear it felt like they always won those games and probably somebody will look it up and say, actually they're, you know, 49% against the spread, but I don't know. It always felt like well, that was a huge I, advantage for those guys. I wish we had stuck to our guns, but on the other hand, maybe we reverse jinx them into a losing streak. So either way, I'm happy. You motherfuckers, you knew what you were doing last week. You said all that nice shit about us. You're just trying to reverse jinx us. You fuckers. Fuck you. That's rockets fan rockets. Twitter. My impersonation of Rockets Twitter. Can can an entire Twitter uh, fan base be impersonated? I just tried it. People really liked your Rockets impersonation. I didn't think it was one of your strongest ones. And then when I was like, is that really your Bernie Sanders? Um, people were like, thought I was a jerk and way too dismissive. They thought your Bernie Sanders was fantastic. What people didn't like is they thought that that meant that we were 
I love when I get lumped in as, oh, you two rich guys. Like, yeah, okay. Um, With Bernie? Anti-Bernie. Yeah, anti-Bernie. Like, people can't understand. Like, you can't make a joke about a candidate's platform, even if you liked his platform and apply it to a basketball game. Like, that seemed a little little absurd. So I did work on my Bernie a little bit, though. Oh, you want to give it a whirl? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's a little late. All right, all right. A little late for you at the, to, at the East Coast. Want me to do it? I'll I'll do some. To, yeah, give me your Bernie. That maybe get get me warmed up. Okay. People don't understand. You have two rich podcasters. There's only a two seat table. Nobody else has a seat at the table. Go ahead. You want to go? Want to do yours? Uh, yeah. How can you have a swimmer? who wins seven golds in that many events, why can't we have more swimmers in each of the events? Spread the golds out. <laughs> Michael Phelps wins seven, seven golds. golds. <laughs> Michael Phelps is the worst thing since Standard Oil. People want LeBron James to win his fifth MVP. What about the other people who haven't won an MVP yet? Why can't Nikola Jokic win an MVP? And while we're at it, why is the MVP limited to just the National Basketball Association? What's wrong with a G League player getting a vote? Or a 12th man? Semi Ojale should be considered for the MVP. Semi Ojale has to tell his children that he can never get an MVP vote while LeBron's about to win his fifth. That's not the country that I want to grow up in. I like you. There's a little Francesa in your Bernie Sanders now. Hey, dog. It was better. It was better uh, at home by myself. Yeah. I'm um, traveling too much. We should just, we should mention really quickly this, uh, you know, the coronavirus. They just canceled Indian Wells today, the tennis tournament that uh, is the first major sports thing that's happened. There's been a lot of buzz about what's going to happen with the NBA. Are they playing empty arenas and all that stuff? It feels weird to do a, a two-hour NBA podcast and not talk about this stuff, but I think you and I both have a rule. If there's a segment where neither of us are an expert, have any information, or have any idea what might happen, that's probably a bad segment. So I think we should steer clear of it. Do you agree? I just think it's going to be really weird if we see empty arenas. And I'm not saying that's the wrong thing. I'm not anti it. I just... I think like everybody, I'm not sure who to believe. I don't know what information I was, oddly enough, at a hospital this past week, not for me. And I talked to somebody about it and they gave me like really compelling information. It was convincing and everything, but I, I don't, I don't know. You know what I can't believe is like people, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, Bill, but people that do what we do, and it doesn't necessarily like just limit itself to sports people, but different people in the opinion business, maybe in news and politics, like giving out their takes on the coronavirus for the retweets. And you're like, you don't know anything. Yeah. You're just reading the same stuff we're all reading. So um, I really, I'm with you. I don't have a ton to offer on it, but I don't want to ignore it, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know what the hell I'm talking about because I don't. Yeah, it feels like this week is going to go off the rails. I think the market's going to be in uh, in all time soon. And um, God knows how the virus will spread or what we're going to learn about it. Just this weekend, Westchester County in New York all of a sudden became one of the epicenters and there's just no way to predict anything. So just wanted to make sure we at least mentioned that. I, I don't think either of us like doing segments where 
we're just talking out of our ass trying to pretend we know something, but there's there's really nothing to know on this. Uh, one other thing that we should, well, I have two, two short games um, based off last week when we talked about that segment called, wait, so when did this happen? Remember that segment? I'll give yeah. You, yeah, yeah. I'll give you this week's version. It's from Doug Ziegler. He wants to know, when did it start being a thing in basketball games when a player gets knocked down or falls during a game, then just waits on the floor, hands up like a toddler, waiting for teammates to pull him up off the floor. Apparently dudes can't stand up on their own anymore. Ryan Rosillo, so when did this happen? This has been going on, I would say, more than five, less than ten. Um, not that no one's ever helped up other guys in previous generations, but it's very clear that everybody decided that to show how locked in you were the game and locked in as a teammate, that you have to all four guys run over to pick up the guy that fell down. And to the point where you see a player sometimes like wave off the opponent that goes to help him because he has to wait for his teammates. So it's like one of those things, like the dumbest thing, everybody throws up the four the four fingers fourth quarter in football games like it's original. And you're like, yeah, we got it. It's the fourth quarter. You know, like the first few teams that did it, like, oh, that's kind of cool. Fourth quarter mindset, get your fours up. And now when everybody does it, like who cares? But it's definitely become more and more of a thing because it, it just, it speaks to like, hey, we're going to get our, what I love, what I love is when a team knows their season is over and it's a guy that is always on the ground and his teammates are like, I'm not going over there. <laughs> yeah, on, fuck it. Fuck you. Just get up yourself. <laughs> that's when that's when real lessons are being learned. Like it'll happen every now and then I'll be like, okay, that's how much no one likes you on your team. Can I give you a theory? Picking you up. Here's my theory for when this started. I think it was the KG Celtics, the Ubuntu Celtics in 2007-8. That that was they made a real a real effort to do stuff like that, where if somebody fell down, three guys ran over and picked him up. And it was just like, a, I, I don't really remember seeing it in full force until that season. If somebody else did it before then, I don't know. But that that was the first team I remember that doing. It shocks me that the, the first one that you remember is the Celtics. Uh, can, I, can I do a quick 30 second aside, though, in defensive Harden and defensive gambling? Okay. I had heard that that 2008 team, when they were playing the Pistons, in between Pistons games, they found the closest casino. It might have been in Toronto at that point. Yep. And like people are like, are you guys seriously that desperate to be out that you guys have to go hit up a casino? Like you're trying to get to the NBA finals here. You guys have a chance to win a championship. And they were like, what are you going to stay in? And they won the title anyway. Well, Michael so. Jordan, 93, was going to Atlantic City during those Knicks series, 92 and 93. It's coming. Do you come really back. believe he never slept? before some of those games i've heard that yeah never I, slept i do feel like that was a real thing with him where he would just stay up 36 straight hours ahmad rashad told me a great story once about he said there's some playoff series i can't remember which one what year it was where maybe it was the phoenix finals and he says if you go and look at it um there's one game where jordan's like sunburned because they played 36 hours of golf. I think it was the Suns final. And he says, Amad was saying his skin's actually darker because they were in the sun just baking. And then he went out and played. And he was like, you go look, you go look back at the tape. So I, I think Jordan, I think wow. there's a million stories like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I had a hard time sleeping. I wouldn't say I'm a great sleeper, 
but I had some really bad stretches when I was younger and uh, not like young, young, but like ESPN years. And it never really affected me though. Like I, you know, if I didn't, if I had a night where I just didn't sleep, like I just would get up and I go to work earlier and I'd just be like, fine, whatever. I'm just going to go to work. And it never, ever affected me on a show ever. Like I never felt like, oh, cause like when you're doing a show, I don't care how tired I've ever been. Like once the mic goes on, you just kind of get used to it, you know, pros pro and cowherd was in the, in the hallway. And those are some of my favorite times ever. And cowherd was like, what's going on? I was like, ah, oh, man, I haven't been sleeping great. He's like, you don't sleep. I was like, no, you know, I'm not a great sleeper. Well, you know, I got an FBI friend, good friend in the, uh, he's in the FBI. He says two people don't sleep. Mom, serial killers. <laughs> that'd be a good, uh, that'd be a good TV show on FS1. I have a new segment we're launching. I know, I know you love when we launch new segments. Actually, I'm going to take it. one more break and then we're launching a new segment. Well, cyber criminals are coming up with plenty of innovative ways to rip us off. New account fraud, a tactic in which someone opens an account and your name is on the rise. Another new type of identity fraud tricks victims into thinking they've received a two-factor authentication text from their bank. Thieves continue to troll public Wi-Fi networks, waiting, watching for new victims to rip off. Every time you bank shop or browse online, you could be vulnerable to cyber criminals. Norton and LifeLock are now part of one company, Norton 360 with LifeLock, an all-in-one membership for your cyber safety that gives you device security, identity theft protection, and a VPN for online privacy. And if there's an identity theft problem, they have specialists who will work to fix it. No one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but Norton 360 with LifeLock is a powerful ally for your cyber safety. Sign up today, save 25% or more off your first year, go to Norton.com slash Simmons. That is Norton.com slash Simmons for 25% off. All right, here's a new segment. It's called See It to Believe It. This is off an email from Peter from Toronto. It's directed to you, not even to me. It just says, Ryan, you often mention that you need to see it in order to believe it when it comes to various NBA contenders. What's your baseline for Need to see it in order to believe it. Are we talking conference finals, finals, winning the whole thing? Uh, explain it. Thanks for the great t- content, Peter from Toronto. I always have said this, but I think it's really hard for us to accept new as great. It just really is. Um, even that Boston team in 2008, like I remember sitting with Rick Carlisle. I hope I have these years right not name dropping. He was working at ESPN, you know, and I, one of my favorite things about it was if you got to know a guy pretty well, you know, George Carl would spend some time with you. Tib spent, you know, we, we watched games together a couple of times, but when the Celtics got off that insane start in 2008, I was like, Hey, what do you think? And Rick's like, Oh, it's new. It's exciting, but you know, we'll see. And remember when the Celtics put that team together, it was like, okay, they're going to be good this year, but like, they're really going to be good in 2009 when they're able to add a piece to this. And it was like, Nope, they're just going to, they're just going to roll through teams. And it wasn't like they were faux, faux, faux type of stuff, but it was, it was really impressive. But it's just, it's hard for me. Like Golden State, before they won it, I was like, this is special. Um, I think you could be a newer team that battles in an Eastern Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals. Like if the Clippers go to seven games with the Lakers and don't win, I'm going to go into next year being like, dude, the Clippers are really good. So, I think new is always hard 
there isn't some baseline like, hey, win this many games, have this kind of guy. Like my biggest thing is usually like, who's your second best player? And I really think that that's what this league is about. Like who's your who's your second best guy? And that's why I keep kind of falling back on the Lakers all this time. So I don't know that I can give you this definitive like, here's what it would say in the dictionary. I have it. But, I have it for uh, you. I'm going to define your own theory. I think Denver is oh. Denver is the baseline of this. Denver is a classic. They could win 10 straight. And I think both of us would be like, all right. I have to see it to believe it. Sorry. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to show this to me when it really matters, because I'm not buying right now. So that'd be the baseline. That'd be the Are market. you sure you didn't write that question? Because you understood it way better than I did. So I I applied. Well, I was yours, reading yours it. was more about Yeah. But your answer was more about like who wouldn't qualify and that you're absolutely right. Like that's a perfect example of it. I think Toronto, I remember going on TV during the Sixers series where I go, you know, if you really look at what they did with their substitutions and this whole thing, like they're the best team in the East. And everybody looked at me like I was an idiot. I was on first take. I was like, hey, Toronto's the best team in the East. Like I'm not worried about this back and forth Sixers thing. And, but, you know, it wasn't like I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm Mr. Raptor. Because I still think they would, you know, I, I, they weren't going to beat Durant and Clay, but, you know, that wasn't really seeing it until you believe it. I think that's another good example of it because it's like, oh, okay, hey, okay, Toronto won. Well, Kyle Lowry. Yeah. All right. Now I. Kyle Lowry's a good example. Kyle Lowry literally had to win the title and be awesome in the deciding game for us to be like, all right, you got us. I believe you now. So maybe that's what that theory is. Yeah, means. yeah. Uh, yeah, when you the confetti is falling and you have the trophy, then I'm like, you know what? I think you guys are pretty good. <laughs> uh, all right, it's time to play in or out. First one, Brad Wanamaker, in or out? Uh, I am... I'm so out. I mean, it's like if, a, if I had a summer place that wasn't winterized and I had to live there in the winter, I would be like... Don't even don't even put any insulation because I don't want to go in there. I'm out like when you're on your iPhone and there's some Apple news story where they say uh, husband, father missing for six days. No sign. That's how out I am on Brad Wanamaker. I'm, I'm out to the point you know, that I'm actually missing and the, and the cops have to be involved wondering where I am. That's how far gone and yeah, out I am. I might be in another country. I'm so out. It's. It's a really bad job by them that they, and I'm not a Reggie Jackson fan at all, but even he is an upgrade over Brad Wanamaker, you know? So it's, oh, it's just he tough. He, he seems like a great guy. I think his teammates really like him. Yep. I don't think he's meant to play yep. 35 minutes in an NBA game, but unfortunately with the injuries they keep having, and then the Kemba Walker thing, I, uh, I just don't think he looks right. I don't think he has any lift. There's a, a moment today in the, uh, they had, you know, they've had some terrible losses this week and it's March. You're not going to overreact, but some bad losses. But the concerning thing is he doesn't have any lift. And there was one play, I'm going to say like two and a half minutes left. He drove down the lane and missed a layup, which he kind of rushed because he didn't have any lift and he knew he didn't have any lift. And I just don't think he looks right. I would rather see them not play him versus uh, play him at like half speed. I hate when somebody's knee is getting drained. There's a lot of red flags with this. And if you're going to be like, what could keep the Celtics from doing anything this year? It starts with that is how healthy is that guy going to be? The signs are not that healthy. So that'd be one. If, All right. if Wanamaker, no, if Wanamaker were a guy though, like in the mix, 
because I like the Wanamaker story in the beginning. You know, he's a nice story. Defensively, matchups and decent size. He'd give you some minutes. Wasn't a, wasn't a problem. Like, he would be the guy that was like, oh, hey, you know who was fun the other night? Dave. And then he turned into like, hey, was Dave there that weekend? And you're like, oh, I don't remember. And yeah. the last month of his play is like, did Dave drunk dial your mom? And you're like, yeah, he did. <laughs> That's been his, his game log. My car had a big dent in the back. I think Dave hit my car. Uh, I he gave, went from lending you his car to crashing yours. I lent Dave $200 in Vegas and he still hasn't paid me back. Oh, wait, that's house. That's not Dave. That's actually house. Still owes oh, you $200. That's right. Yeah, he still owes me. Uh, still next, owes me. next in or out, the 2020 NBA draft, in or out? Oh, I'm... This is this looks so out right now. Didn't they said Cole, it's, Cole it's Anthony so was like a potential number one pick, right? Cole Anthony. I watched the UNC yeah. Duke game. I don't know. Is he like a lottery pick? Yeah. Like I, I would be shocked if he was a top five pick. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I, I think it's just a historically the is bad draft. Fourteen names down. Mm. Yeah, writing fourteen names down is tough because I'll start looking at guys being like, "Well, wait a minute, why can't he go top five? Um, but write down 14 names and it's, it's pretty tough to do, but I haven't started my draft yet. So the, uh, the Ertz kids in or out. Cause I'm all the way in. Why don't you take the lead on this one? I don't even know if they have kids yet. It, it, anyone who remembers back when I used to write before my figure stopped working, I loved the idea of good athletes getting married and having kids. I thought this was really our way to combat the other countries in the Olympics and stuff like that. Um, you have Julie Ertz, who is a fantastic soccer player. Really just, she had the winning goal today and they played Spain and the We Believe Cup, whatever it's called. She had this super athletic header off a cross and she's just a badass. She's so much fun to watch. I really, really like her, watching her. And she's married to Zach Ertz, who's the third best tight end in football. And he's, I'm going to say like 6'4", 2 250, something like that with speed. She's about as good of a female athlete as you're going to get. And they're going to have children. And I'm really excited. I'm all in on the Earth's kids. I was saying like, they might end up having Bo Jackson, LeBron, and like Christian McCaffrey as their three kids, basically, athletically. It's going to be a huge disappointment if they're not all studs. So I'll I don't tell mean, you what's I don't mean to put I... pressure on the fetuses of the Earth's family, but I have high expectations. Yeah, this is a weird segment, but I'm kind of in. I got to tell you, I remember when it first when it first came out of the scene. It was a long, long time ago. This dating rumor, Lavar Arrington and Serena Williams. Oh yeah, and I was like, oh my god, please make this work out because like whatever their kid was going to be, like Zion Williamson was going to have posters of that kid. Yeah, in his bedroom. But yeah, it didn't work out. Well, Serena ended up marrying the Reddit guy, which I I think hurt my theory. The the Ertz kids though, I'm I'm all in. Uh, next in or out. The Celtics just saying we've signed J.R. Smith. In or out? Uh, I just don't think they need another guard that thinks his shot is the best option every time. Yeah, I think I'm out too. I would I just, just like another adult in a tight game because... I just think they're uh, I think they're short. I some teams should sign J.R. Smith though. I don't think he's done yet. At least if he's out there, he's would, gonna feel like just, he belongs out there. 
I would like to see the guys all play together before the season's over. I, I think I looked at it because I went to the Jazz game on Friday in Boston. How about me? Back-to-back Jazz Celtics games within 10 days. Utah, then Boston. Who's this guy? That's your Amazing. Sky Miles guy right there. So doing it. But um, it, 13 times you've had Tatum, Brown, Hayward, Kemba, Tice play. Ridiculous. On the same game. And by the way, are we really going to do almost two hours and not mention how disastrous that loss was to Oklahoma City after the Nets lost this week? Are you so, just not doing it? Are you I, refusing to bring it up? It's it, They really, both losses really hurt my feelings. And now they're guaranteed to be a three seed. They're going to have to win. And they're going to lose to the Sixers. Yeah, well, I I don't know. I, I the six, Catching the Sixers might not be a bad thing. But, uh, but yeah. But think how it, weird this is, though. Because I was looking at the standings. The Sixers not having their guys back and falling to the six seed in Boston if they're the three seed. And then if the Sixers get everybody back, like this could actually be the best thing. And then the Sixers could end up playing Toronto in the second round. I think I just talked myself into the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals, despite <laughs> nobody being healthy. And I don't think we're going to be seeing Simmons. I, all were all words and all accounts seem to uh, there's a legit concern about about him. I don't think we'll be seeing him anytime soon. But yeah, another Boston Philly Whoa. series wouldn't be. I'm in on that. We'll finish in or out with both of us are in on a Boston Philly series. Okay, uh, one email from Jeffrey Storm, and then we're going to do Jim Corner, and then we're going. Jeffrey Storm says NBA teams retire jerseys all the time, but shouldn't there be a reverse jersey retire? A team could banish a jersey number from future use when it causes significant pain and turmoil to a franchise. Instead, it can be reverse retired into the stadium basement hung above a toilet. The Thunder's number five jersey has been worn by both Kendrick Perkins and Kyle Singler, whose massive contracts and poor play indirectly caused a finals loss, the Harden trade, July 4th, 2016, and the disintegration of one of the greatest NBA non-dynasties ever collected, I am accepting names for a reverse retire. The leading candidate is a Jersey detire, a detirement ceremony. Jeffrey Storm, fantastic email. Kudos to you. I love the concept of a detirement. I wish the Celtics could detire Jeff Green's jersey. Okay, I had a, I, I think I like the concept. I don't like the examples. Um, Singler signed for four years and nineteen million, so. I mean, I the reason you didn't have Harden is because no one with your organization seemed to understand how the TV contract bump was going to work, and they were really cheap, and they traded Harden a year before they had to. Yeah, um, I agree with all of this. So there's 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 a lot of stuff, and then Perk didn't come until later anyway. So, uh, no, Perk was before the I, Harden trade because they trade the Perk Jeff Green trade was 2011 season. And then, yeah, but that's that's money moving out, money moving in versus like Perk. Perk wasn't in play. Perk didn't get there until. Well, I think uh, he, in oh, 11, shoot. but oh, I think. No, no, wait a minute. Yeah, he was there in 11. But I yeah, think the bad. OKC fans always felt like keep hard and amnesty Perkins. And then we don't have to trade James Hard. I have another email from Damon in Pittsburgh. He wants to know if me, House or Jacko would care to make a public statement about Holy Cross's men's basketball program going 3-29, and finishing dead last in the Patriot League, and not even qualifying, repeat, not even qualifying for the Patriot League tournament this season. My silence is deafening, says Damon from Pittsburgh. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, it, the, the Holy Cross basketball died last decade, and 
you think like Kuzi and Heinsohn are still alive and Holy Cross's team goes three and 29. Three and 29 is a cry for help. And they lost to a Div 3 team this year. It's 15 years ago, we were thinking they could be Gonzaga East. And now it's like, would the NESCAC take them? Could they get in there? Could they squeeze into the NESCAC? I don't know. Well, uh, let me call some of my guys at NESCAC. Call, and can you call in a couple favors? Um, I love I love the cross. You know that I grew up with I know, I know. That's why I brought that it was, up. That was my first football thing. But I wanted to go there, too. I can't imagine. You would probably hate me. Because if I had gone to Holy Cross. You would have loved it. And graduated. No, I wouldn't have. You um, would have loved it. You would have loved the intramural basketball scene. You really it would have been big for me. I don't know how I would have done in Worcester, but you would I guess if it. I could survive Burlington. But I would have been calling you. I'd be like, Bill, because if there's one thing like you learn about Bill, is like Bill lets you know when you're in the inner circle. And I would have just assumed, like, hey, dude, we're both Holy Cross guys. When do I start? <laughs> <laughs> and so you would have been so turned off by my brash. Holy Cross, twenty-year-old version of me that you'd be like, this guy sucks. Yeah, it's like that Holy Cross guy. I got, um, God, he emailed me again. Duncan from New it's Zealand. Related. Duncan from New Zealand says, watching Marcus Morris shoot everything and flat out refuse to pass the ball is incredible. If someone had told me his career per game average of one point five assists was actually his total career assists, I'd be sixty percent sure they were lying. My question for you is, who's your current? I'm not passing the fucking ball. Starting five. That's pretty good. Hmm. Dinwiddie, Clarkson are probably your backcourt. Yeah, Clarkson's definitely in there. Has Clarkson Clarkson's had an assist, assist this year? Here's the thing. Clarkson's actually been really good for them. Yeah, um, they needed because him. Because the way they use him, it's like, you know, it's seeing him in person. It's just, it's not like he's the quickest guy. It's just he, he finds a way. It's just guys that know angles better than everybody else. Clarkson has this angle understanding where... You're like, oh, he's free at the hoop again. Up, oh, there's another layup for Clarkson. Up, oh, Clarkson got open again. He's he's a really special scorer, but he's never, ever, ever wanted to pass. But it's actually fine for Utah because they've had their own problems um, lately. Dinwiddie, you know, Westbrook and, and those guys, sometimes, you know, people just always do this thing where it's like, oh, well, look at his assist. You guys are idiots. There's different, there's different assist guys. And if you have the ball every freaking time, <laughs> you're going to get some assists. So... I think Dinwiddie be back there. Um, what about Kendrick Nunn? Yeah, what are he's Nunn's assist numbers. He's under four assists a game. I had him. He's one of my guys because he's under four. That's yeah. high. <laughs> well, he's the point guard though. Mm. You're down on that one. Yeah, I mean, it's no, it's just it's just that Butler. Yeah, he's three point four assists. That's probably more than I thought. You know what? I should look up. Oh, I got one. I got one. Austin Rivers. Ooh, that's a really good one. Robert Covington is averaging 30 minutes a game and 1.2 assists. Solid. Great job by him. What's Levine's situation? Levine's at four assists a game. Really? He's top 10 in usage. Yeah. But you know what's funny? It's like now the perimeter guys are getting back at everybody else. Because you remember the bigs? Remember like all the bigs that we grew up with? As soon as they got the post touch, they just meant four guys are going to watch. Yeah. That's what the game used to be like. So I guess the little guys are getting back at him because it just we're like, okay. And a lot of that happens to like a lot of college guys that were big their whole life. And then maybe the team isn't great. And they're sort of by default, the best player, and especially when I'm doing my draft stuff. You're like, oh, cool. Every time this guy gets the ball, the possession's over. 
so to be fair, Tyler suggested Booker's box score as a segment. Read Devin Booker's most recent box score, completely deadpan, and then move on to the next segment. Okay. Today, <laughs> Booker was 13 for 17, 36 points, eight assists, five rebounds. So there you go on that. Get Doe, one, two, three, wants to know, LeBron started every game at point guard. He's listed as point guard. He initiates the offense, has the ball most of the time. He leads the league in assists. Why is he not listed at guard for all NBA? This is category fraud. I don't have an answer. Love it. I, I love guess because I mean, he Duncan, doesn't Duncan he is... doesn't guard other teams' point guards, maybe. That's the only reason. But sometimes I can think. he does. Like if 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 it's an opposing point guard that's like not although every point guard now scores. So it's just if if the two perimeter guys are pretty good and the point guard isn't, like sometimes I think he's I mean, he's kind of like well, it was different against the Clippers today, but I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm already gone too far with this whole thing. I love that idea because my all time least favorite ever was, was Duncan not being a center. And it wasn't even that I get as mad at Duncan about it, but Spurs fans were like, he's not a center. Like, why, why are you arguing this? It doesn't mean he's not as good. We put Tiago Splitter's sakes. corpse next to him. He's not a center. Yeah. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Rasho Sturvich. Look it up. Like I have, I looked up every center he played with and guess what? None of them were on the floor at the end of games. <laughs> Guess who was playing? Guess who was catching out of the post and having cuts and he would make the decision? It was him. Like Tim Duncan was a center. Thomas Benjamin wants to know why sports analysts on pregame shows, halftime shows, and postgame shows always hold pens. They never actually write anything. Okay. Why, are, why are they holding pens? One of the weirdest things in television is what to do with your hands. Yeah. Okay. And you see a lot of guys do this now. If you're standing with no pen, you don't know where to put your hands because you can't put them in your pockets because you look like an asshole. Well, if you're sitting you behind, behind a desk, back, if you're sitting behind a desk and you put your hands below your desk, it looks like you have no arms. So you have to put them somewhere. Right. You have to put them somewhere. I'm telling you right now, the pen works. It works. It relaxes you. Do a, do a mock segment at your desk right now in front of the mirror if you're listening. You're going to feel like you know what's going on. Digger Phelps had a weird thing with the highlighter. And then I think Digger Phelps was secretly toying with running for president where he said the country needs a coach, which was one of the weirdest fucking things of all time. That doesn't get enough attention. But I think Digger Phelps was slowly announcing that he may run for president during college basketball raps. But he always had a highlighter that matches tie. <laughs> yeah. um, and that was weird. So yeah, whatever. Uh, the pen thing, it makes you feel like you know what you're doing with your hands. That's that's why guys do it. And I actually think, you know, if you were on TV, you'd know that. My issue with the pen, which I tried when I was doing countdown, was I would start tapping the pen on the table like a drum. And then somebody would yell at me in the air. So I got rid of the pen. I went closed fist with the left hand on the table. Never moved. There could have been an earthquake. My fist wouldn't have moved. It just stayed stuck to it. It was almost like it was super glued to the table. And then I would use my right hand to kind of, as I talk, but then sometimes bring the left hand up, then put the fist back down. So the, it was a left, I, I was in the left fist school, but yeah, when you're watching, this is a good, this is a good, see, this is, we always have our best stuff at the two hour mark of the pod. When you're watching these shows on ESPN and FS1, just watch the hand strategies because they're pretty great. Uh, some people do the clasp. So they do the, they put the hand, I tried that one as well. I have, that was another move for me is the, clasping the hands together on the desk 
and just kind of not moving them unless you got animated was another move. I always got a lot of feedback because of uh, my entry point was his asshole at ESPN. So anytime I ever did anything, I would get all these notes about how bad I was at everything. And I tried one hand in the pocket and then point with the other hand. And then that was a problem. Although I'll admit, neck hair probably wasn't the look they were hoping I was going to go for <laughs> when I just started growing out the beard. Yeah. I was so early on the beard that I had a beard at the one of the combines I did. And I got an email being like, are you serious? You have a beard on television? And then, you know, Bob Lee, the general's got one. little salt and pepper deal five years later on OTL. So who was... Who was on the forefront of that? But McShay does a thing, and I've noticed other guys doing this now. If you're standing full screen, nothing in your hands, where the left hand holds the middle or ring finger of the right hand, so it's not a clasp, it's not a fist. It looks like you're loose. It looks like you're comfortable, but it's actually predetermined. And I'm seeing more and more people do the hold the opposite hands single finger. And I got to tell you, I like it. I like what I've seen. So it's good. Early Mc, returns. McShay does some good, good full body work. All right. It's time for Jim corner. He always has Jim corner. This is a really good one. It's from Dave and Fuquay. I don't know where that is. He says, Oh, Fuquay. Ryan Fuquay. themes have found their way into restaurants, clubs, and bars, Western music, future movie, and tropical are just a few of the dozens of themed eateries. Why haven't gyms capitalized on this marketing idea? My friends and I thought gyms could increase membership by catering to a specific concept. For example, we thought it would be amazing if a gym had a zoo concept. You walk in and right behind the squat rack is a caged lion. Maybe you're finishing a set of incline on the incline bench and an anaconda slithers past your foot. I knew I could certainly make some serious gains with help of the animal kingdom. I'm curious if Ryan has any ideas for his own theme gym. Well, there you go. I can't wait for this answer. I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think everybody loves an 80s party. Yeah. I don't understand why there isn't an 80s themed gym. And I wasn't working out in the 80s, mind you. But I think full Oakley blades, maybe some Bosworth haircuts, Stringer tanks, leotards, headbands, leg warmers on the women and just everything is super outdated exercises with trainers who are all on steroids and <laughs> you dress up. You know, everybody's kind of dressing up now when they go to the gym anyway. Yeah. And no one married is allowed to be there. You can't be married and join this gym. Right. So you're saying basically the John Travolta, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, anti-classic perfect, which is about the most eighties movie that anyone made. Not great, but also kind of a fun rewatch and just one of those, how the fuck did anyone think this was going to work as a movie movies? Everyone, the way they're dressed in that movie, you would just want as a gym that you could go to. Yeah. That, and like no smoothies, it'd be like carnation, instant breakfast, chocolate with milk. They'd, so they'd like yeah. oh, maybe maybe I shouldn't open that up. Maybe that's a bad idea. That part's bad. The nutrition bar has like pizza, hot dogs, <laughs> soda, Pepsi machine. Oh. Yeah, that's no, good. It would have to be something like Yeah, it would have to be like healthy pepperoni pizza. 80s 80s healthy pepperoni pizza. But yeah, nobody can be married. Cuz you know what I don't need? 
I don't need married guys that are trying to pretend they're still in the mix. Right. And they're not. Right. You know, like, just get out of here. You know, um, there's that dating app for celebrities. I think it's called like Raya. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to tell you I know what it is. And then people are going to think I'm on it and I'm not. It's called Raya. Raya. Yeah. Why aren't you on it? You're a celebrity. Well, my initial instinct, I've never been on one, first of all. So I guess I'm just going to keep that one going. Somebody asked me once why I wasn't on it during SportsCenter. I said, that's because I'm on TV and I looked into the camera. I also got a note on that SportsCenter appearance being like, hey, that was kind of a D-bag thing to say. And I was like, yeah, I know that was kind of a joke. And I was with Sarah Walsh because she like made a joke on SportsCenter. Why aren't you on a dating app? And I was like, because I'm on TV. And uh, it's supposed to sound like a jerk move. But when I heard about the Raya thing, and I was like, well, celebrity, like real celebrities must be on this. Like I'd read about like real actresses yeah. like that you've heard about are actually on this thing. And then a guy who you know, I'm not going to name names, um, was like, oh, I'll give you an invite to it. And then I was like, well, this guy's on it. But then I just, I don't know. I'd have way too much fun writing a profile that was absolutely the dumbest thing I could ever write. And I, um, I don't know. I'm not, I, if I haven't done it by now, I'm never going to do it. So I, I, I uh, I'm going to convince you to do this for the playoffs. We're going to need something. The, uh, the, uh, the reason I'm like talking about that stuff really though. The reason I brought up dating apps was cause couldn't it work where it's a gym, but everybody has to be single and it's a combination dating app gym. Has anyone thought of that? Did I just come up with a billion dollar <laughs> idea? Yeah, I, you know, the problem that I would have is I'd be like, hey, this is messing up my workout. I got to join a different gym. Right, because you, like, hey, you, you, you don't want to cross the beams. Right. Yeah, I got I got it. Right, because I'd be like, hey, I finally met somebody. She's moving in, but my arms look terrible. <laughs> Good point. Maybe. <laughs> nah, that's it. That's why that's not a billion dollar idea. All right, Rosillo, uh, safe travels coming back. We'll do this uh, in person next week, hopefully. And then you have two more podcasts on on your feed, The Ryan Rosillo Show. It's a re- podcaster show. I always forget. Ryan Rosillo Show. It is just The Ryan Rosillo Podcast. Right. I actually say show sometimes myself. So yeah. don't worry about it. The Ryan Rosillo Podcast. Two more this week, and then we'll see you again on, uh, on Sunday. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks to ZipRecruiter. Thanks to Norton Secure VPN. Norton 360 with LifeLock is an all-in-one membership for your cyber safety. If there's an identity theft problem, they have specialists who will work to fix it. No one can prevent cyber crime, cyber crime, cyber crime, and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But Norton 360 with LifeLock is a powerful ally for your cyber safety. Kyle, leave this in so people can know what a dumbass I am. Sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year. Go to Norton.com slash Simmons for 25% off. Don't forget uh, the rewatchables. We put up, uh, threw away the categories, but we did Contagion. So check that one out. I think it's only like 45 minutes. Godfather 3 coming up later in the week. Two more podcasts on this feed. Stay safe out there. See you in a couple of days.